millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to another episode of Pearl Mania 500, the show where a husband and wife duo notice you across the bar. Oh, no. And they walk over. Oh. And they ask, hey, are you here by yourself? You have a great vibe about you. You know, we'd like to tell you a little bit about lore, because you feel like an old soul. Okay, why don't you just introduce the show? I hate this so much. You got it. There's a place where you can stay when the world gets too insane. Thank you again to our guest today. His name was Dusk. As always, our theme song is by His Name Was Dusk, and you can find him on social media, same name, at His Name Was Dusk, or you can go to his website, hisnamewasdusk.com, and his new album is out. You can go stream it. That's called The Things We Are Beneath. You can hear it wherever you find music. That is so cool. I'm yeah. so happy for my friend. Yeah. And with that, I want to let the listeners know it's the last time you're ever going to hear that theme. I know. It's over. That's the end of that theme. That theme is done. We have such a big announcement. Uh, we have a couple big announcements. <laughs> pretty major announcements that yeah. are happening right now this week. The biggest one okay. that's going to be happening for the listeners out there is technically this is, well, first thing, this is officially the end of season one yeah season one we're done yeah and with the end of season one it's a full overhaul we're changing the name yeah uh 
Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly what we're doing. It is going to be called Too Many Tabs. That's Too what Many we're, Tabs. That's what we're that's changing. That's the name of the podcast. That's the name of the podcast. It'll be Promania 500 Presents Too Many Tabs. Too Many Tabs. Uh, the black and blue emblem you've gotten used to, we're changing that. It's going to be it. yellow. Yeah. <laughs> sure. It didn't realize the whole thing's yellow. Yeah, it's kind of, it's more of a yellow. Yeah, it's got a lot of yellow. It's got, it still has some blue. It still has some blue. An homage to the original logo. Yes, but we have a lot of changes uh, coming on that side. But I wanted to warn you guys that the biggest thing is that on, you don't have to resubscribe. You don't have to do anything else. Mm-mm. But when you go and you're looking on your podcasting apps, it will not say Pearlmania 500. It'll say too many tabs. So if you go to P and we're not there, don't freak out. Scroll a little further. Yeah. And the reason we're doing the change, the biggest reason, is because, uh, honestly, I hate to say it, search engine optimization. Uh, yeah. I think we should be open about that. Oh, uh, yeah. SEO is important. Yeah. So if you type in Pearlmania 500, mm-hmm. you get my TikTok. Yeah. You get my Instagram. Uh-huh. You get uh, a Twitter account I don't use. Uh-huh. You get so many different you things. You get an article written by CNN that says that you are a psyop from China. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. You get All a lot that of, before the podcast. A lot of these things show up before the podcast. So Also, I just thought we should have a cool name like all the other podcasts have cool names. Yeah. And also, this name actually helps surmise the podcast a little bit better. I think Because so. in reality, we do a lot of research, and that ends up with us having 67 tabs <laughs> open at the top of all of our browsers, yeah. uh, stacks and, of books. And, and the reason the- my brain is is broken the way it is is because too many tabs yeah of drugs in my youth yeah, yeah. that many that many things <laughs> there's so many things and too many open tabs at a bar too many open tabs at a bar <laughs> too many tabs in life there's so many things yeah that this encompasses so moving forward the podcast will be called too many tabs too many and, tabs and his name is dusk is working on a new theme song for yeah, us Yeah, it'll premiere next week next week with the new this is all happening next week by yeah. the way yeah by so the way like literally next sunday hits it's gonna be a new image New name, new theme song. Same great show. Same great show. That's the only thing that's saying the same. It's the actual <laughs> content. Maybe our marriage. Oh, what? I don't want to. What? We're not, we're not going to stay married. I mean, we're we got... just becoming podcasters now. Listen, I don't want to stay married for the kid, <laughs> but I will stay married for, for the, the pod. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. So with that. The podcast doesn't take away my sleep. Yeah. So before I hit before I hit the uh, the button for all of our Patreons, because the Patreon name is still going to stay the same. That's still going to be Pearlmania500.net. Mm-hmm. We'll take you to Patreon.com slash Pearlmania500. Sure. I'm not changing that to too many tabs. Uh, but uh, is there any other announcements you have before I go into the Hey Huns and all the other stuff? <sighs> announcements. Okay. So I do have one announcement that's big for me. Okay. All right. Do you remember Jackie and Shadow? What? Jackie and Shadow. Jackie and Shadow. Give Jackie a- and Shadow are the bald eagles. That, oh, that the from Big last Bear, year. California. Yeah. That they have the live cam. Uh, there's a live camera that's on twenty four seven. on YouTube. It's like Big Bear TV on YouTube. Yeah, and it's Jackie and Shadow are the two eagles, and they had they have an egg. Okay, mm-hmm. last year heartbreaking. Yeah, you were just watching them hold, watch their egg, sit on their egg, and the egg didn't catch. And okay. last year, I remember you watching it because we turned on one time like during a blizzard. Yeah, and they were just sitting, in the and snow. they were like sitting there getting blasted in the face by a blizzard. <laughs> like we're gonna live, live this baby's gonna live, and then the egg didn't. The take. egg didn't hatch. Yeah. So this year we're back. We got a new egg. Okay. I, and that's the only update is because I just keep watching this YouTube channel that's of this bird watching? sitting in a nest. You know what they should do? <laughs> what? If they really want to up it even more, uh-huh. put lo-fi beats behind it. <laughs> oh my. 
Yo. I would done. watch the shit out of it. <laughs> if it was just some birds in the snow with some lo-fi beats. And at the end, we get to see if a baby is born. Yeah. Baby ba- bald eagle. A baby bald eagle. Oh, th- I got Jackie and Shadow. I got you this year. Yeah. Do um do lo-fi beats of patriotic American music. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes. I think that would be good. Um, so with that, uh, any other announcements for you, Mrs. P? No, I've just been watching the, the birds been on Watching YouTube. the birds. <laughs> um, so we did uh, officially end. We grandfathered out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the word they actually use, I didn't delete it. It's un, uh, unlist. We unlisted it. We unlisted the the $3 Hey Hunt tier. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a lot of people pick up that tier this week. Had to do it. Had to get the a deal. A ton of people have. Who hasn't um, done it? Because they all know that we're going for that seven fifty. dollars uh, So I can read that second horny fairy book that mm-hmm. we are currently keeping under Big a glass horny. case in the house. Big horny. So there's a lot of horny people out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have a lot of people that we wish to greet this week. Hey, huh? Let's meet our team leaders. All right, Mrs. P, are you ready? Yes. We have so many underscores. Oh, my gosh. It's, do you see? Do you see how many <laughs> underscores I have here? One of them cheated, too. They put, like, multiple underscores between, but they didn't write underscores. So here we go. <clears throat> Tired underscore student underscore who underscore just underscore wants underscore the second book slander. <laughs> hey, hon. Uh, after that, we have Elspeth. Hey, hon. After that, we have Borg Queen XOXO. Oh, Borg Queen XOXO. I like that one. I yeah. would, you know what? If you were a Borg Queen, yeah. I'd give you a smoochie. Thanks. You're welcome. After that, we have Heather KL. Hey, hun. After that, we have Allison B. Hey, hun. After that, we have Old Tommy Butt Stuff underscore by <laughs> Kellogg's. Okay, that's really great. I yeah. Love that. I, you can always tell when somebody's going through old episodes <laughs> yeah. when they come across that. Uh, what's going to be weird for people when they're going to, like, on episode 20 because they want to catch up to the modern and then yeah. like, I'm going to get in there for that $3 tier and it's gone. Oh, we're sorry. Uh, after that, we have L underscore and underscore Jackie underscore want underscore two underscore here underscore about underscore horny underscore fairies underscore from underscore Perlman underscore. <laughs> they even put an underscore after your name. I know. Hateful behavior. Hey, they hon. are so they're getting really deep on these underscores. After that, it's the weekend. Hey, hon. That's the weekend, but a vampire. Yes. Hello. Mm-hmm. Ah, ah, ah. The, it's a it's a. Uh, Vampire that does a lot of cocaine. Yeah. It's a nice way to say it. I can't feel <laughs> my numbers when I'm with you. <laughs> Not the count. Um, no. Well, come on. They, they, what That's other... your first vampire? We have a baby in the room. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Well, I guess I shouldn't be talking I even about the, cocaine uh, uh, vampires. I know. Well, you've been <laughs> doing a lot of things on this podcast in front of your son. After that, we have thy underscore name underscore is underscore mayhem. Hey, hon. After that, we have grandfather underscore me underscore in underscore mommy underscore Perlman <laughs> underscore underscore underscore. They wrote out underscore the bastards. I love that. Hi, hon. Okay. Oh, my God. There's so many underscores. <laughs> After that, we have listen underscore up underscore poop underscore butt. <laughs> you underscore R underscore A underscore cutie underscore patootie. <laughs> poop butt. Ah! Like underscore rats underscore two A. <laughs> underscore three dollar <laughs> underscore ship underscore butt wait why don't you better. take a break i'll read the next one okay, okay. uh not underscore uh underscore cult underscore but underscore ken underscore it <laughs> underscore b it's definitely it's kind of kind of culty vibes yeah sure. it does it's, it's reading all this stuff about cults over the year i think we could master starting a cult for sure definitely definitely uh we got coffee leaf 90 yep you guys say hey hun hey hun uh an earthworm having a seizure. Hey, hon. <laughs> hey, hon. Uh, spicy noodle bucket. Ooh, I'd like that. Yeah. Ooh. I want a bucket of spicy noodles. I want spicy a spicy noodles. noodle bucket. 
After that, we have, oh, here's some underscores for you. Jenny underscore is underscore here underscore for underscore missed underscore and underscore fury. Yeah, it's yeah. annoying, isn't it? No, it's no. fine. I'm stronger than you. <laughs> okay. Patreon underscore is underscore too hard underscore to figure underscore out. So I'm underscore still underscore listening underscore two ads. <laughs> They're still listening to ads. So just to know you guys I thought know, it said toads. <laughs> so I, I did it first too. So just for the listeners out there, if you are having a difficulty with that, we we upload the episode each week to Patreon directly. You can listen to it through the Patreon app. If you are on, uh, I believe it's iTunes or mm-hmm. Spotify, you can go and click. There are some links in there that uh, you can use to use your native player to listen to it without ads that way. Um, after that, we have Heidi M. Hey, hon. After that, we have Snarkalupagus. Hey, hon. A uh, Snarkalupagus. Yeah, Snarkalupagus. After that, we have Marmalade March in parentheses. Thank you guys so much. You've been getting me through college. Hey, hon. Uh, you got this. Yeah. After that, we have Consecrated Apathy. <laughs> that would be an incredible t-shirt. All right. Uh, hey, hon. I'm going to shake it You're out. You're back in. You're back in. We got a big block. You got There's this. There's a big block right here. You got Of this. underscores. Tiny underscore raccoon underscore hands underscore giving underscore the underscore finger. (laughs) After that, we have Andrew underscore Tate's underscore Falcon underscore sex underscore hat. Okay, wait. Now I have Andrew Tate's Falcon sex hat. The person messaged us and said, yes, Falcon sex hats are a real thing. I did not Google it. I refuse to go deeper. Oh, I want to Google it right now. After that, we have Brian's underscore here, underscore four, underscore Faye, underscore smut, underscore and, underscore rants. Hey, on. After that, okay. we have if, underscore Jane, underscore Austin, <laughs> underscore wrote, underscore Twilight. All right. Uh, my turn. Okay. Consider, underscore, me, underscore, grand... Wait, granddaddied? Yes. Oh, get it, because they're granddaddied in. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. After that? Soup for my family. Hey. Hey, Let's go. Oh, no. You got to keep soup for your family in your backpack at all times. You You never know when you're going to need soup for your family. Especially during turbulent times. Just a can of soup. And I'm not talking about a Campbell soup can. No, you want Progresso. A nice Progresso. Yeah. Uh, Italian wedding. I'd go with a Chikorina myself. I'm a big Chikorina guy. Yeah. I like a a chicken meatball. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense. No, it's good. It's a good soup. No, no, no. I mean, just in general, though. It's like like chickens aren't a thing you typically meatball. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I like a, you know what I like? I like a fish meatball. In a foe, a fish meatball. Oh my god, yeah. Read the next name. Okay, um, Mothman underscore eight underscore my underscore whole underscore ass underscore at underscore uh underscore Danny's. I'm gonna need you to elaborate on that story. Hey, hun. After that, we have here for book two. Hey, hun. After that, we have uh, Ari Yovel. Hey, hun. After that, we have yarn is my hyperfixation. <laughs> hey, hun. All right, we're halfway there. We got this. <laughs> There's we're so many names. This. After that, we have Professor Bubble Tits. <laughs> I got an A in their class. Yeah, you got an A in their <laughs> class. <laughs> yeah. After that, we have <laughs> underscore we underscore R underscore finally underscore getting underscore A underscore Wawa underscore in underscore mobile underscore Alabama underscore. Oh my God! I can only imagine <laughs> the chaos oh of a mobile God. Alabama oh, fucking Wawa. At 2.30 in the morning. Incredible. You know, I think I've mentioned on this before, Alabama, Tuscaloosa, Alabama in particular is the place where I sobered up. Yeah. I don't know if you told that story. I don't know if I've told on the podcast. I've heard it. Yeah, I know you've heard it. Yeah. Yeah, I was on a, I was on a pretty big uh, bender mm-hmm. a few years ago. 
uh, dried out. I'm sorry, out. I'm sorry, decade ago. Oh, Jesus, yeah, it was a decade <laughs> ago. I was on a pretty big bender, and I dried out in a uh, in a Motel 6 mm-hmm. in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. As one does. Because when I got there, I said, hey, where's the closest bar? And they said, Tennessee, because it was a Sunday, and they didn't serve any alcohol. Yep, that So I had to sit there for 24 hours with no alcohol. And uh, that's when I realized, I was like, I need to cut back. <laughs> That's there's certain places in the world where when you're there you're like wait a minute I've made some mistakes I myself had a dry out episode in uh, Wisconsin mm. and I was like you know what your girl needs rehab yeah you know what's funny I think Wisconsin will break you like that I think there aren't those like the same time zone maybe it's just that time zone <laughs> that when an East Coaster reaches that time zone we're like listen oh, I gotta, I gotta, stop gotta change my life I gotta get out of here why am I Wisconsin after that we have two Ravens hey hun after that we have Kath hey hun hey listen Kath, Kath. I I love your uh, Death Cab for Cutie song <laughs> Kath <laughs> uh, after that Lost underscore neutral hey hun after that we have Robert Heilman Robert I almost said it the Heinlein who's a really good author after that uh, Tamara Zimmer hey hun after that idiot underscore who underscore can't underscore change underscore there underscore name that you did it no they didn't they actually messaged me and I changed it oh. to the Excel doc <laughs> So, I was so proud of them. No, you shouldn't be. Oh. But they reached hey, out. Hey, they reached hun. out. You know what? You got to ask for help. You know why? What's funny about mm-hmm. that is the name. This is not changed. The name yeah. that immediately came after them. An- anonymity underscore accountability underscore penguin. Hey, hon. Uh, after that, we have how underscore underscore you underscore underscore like underscore underscore them underscore underscore soups underscore <laughs> underscore underscore. How <laughs> you like them soups? We've been discussing. We Well, he likes the canned soups. I only keep the soup for my family for, you know, in case of family emergency. Second Amendment. Yeah. You have a I, Second Amendment soup. <laughs> it's my right. Yeah. Uh, um, 12 gauge uh, soup over here. <laughs> a well formed militia of soups. Yeah. Just like a, a bunch of gals with crockpot strapped to our backs. You know what I keep thinking of what? is the fact that Chef Boyardee was a real man, mm-hmm. right? And he actually did serve for the troops. Like, yep. They did a lot. If you go back to like World War II, there's a lot of like video uh, and newsreels of like Chef Boyardee cooking up hot meals for the troops on the front line here in France. Yeah. And it's like imagining Chef Boyardee loading cans. <laughs> Of of overstuffed ravioli into yeah. bazookas, be like go go get the Germans. Why did, I don't know why I made why him German. Made I don't know. He's Italian. He'd be like go and get the Germans. Okay. After that, we have Barb's underscore over underscore buyers underscore. Hey hun. After that, we have Art by Khan. Hey hun. After that, we have Sparkle Hot Marta Sparkle. How did she? How did Marta get Sparkle? I don't know how. Incredible, listen, I'm impressive. That I am living for. Yeah, icon. the actual Sparkle emojis made icon their way. Of innovation over Let here. me tell you how far this went. I downloaded the doc from Patreon yeah. into an Excel file. Yep. I then I then imported it mm-hmm. to Google Drive. Yeah. And her sparkles. Yeah. Emojis. Still there. Still there. Incredible. She carried it across three platforms. Yeah. Probably wrote it from a phone, phone too. That's like Damn. four platforms Damn. right there. Damn. You are hot, Marta. <laughs> After that, we have Sista underscore Fista underscore 40K. Um, that's a Sisters of Battle reference and I know that there's some people who are clamoring for me to someday explain Warhammer 40,000 to you and I am going to go on record right now to say I'm not refusing but I am hesitant okay Warhammer that's the video game 
Shut the fuck up. <laughs> okay. After that, we have Mandy from Minnesota. Hey, hon. Followed by Whiskey Business. Whiskey Business. After that, we have Justin. Just Justin. Hey, hon. <laughs> Not just Justin. It just says Justin. I know, but don't just call him just Justin. Okay. After that, we have Had to Get the Great Value While It Lasts. That's what I'm saying. The A- deals. After that, we have Derek, a.k.a. Mr. Going More Negative So I Can Get $3 Tier. <laughs> hey, hon. After that, we have turned the boner tower into subsidized housing. (laughs) Yeah. We got to think of the people. Listen, you need to explain the boner tower to people. I do? People don't understand. In Philadelphia, there is a dilapidated, I think it's 11-story building. It's a a former hotel, I believe, right? No, you're thinking of Divine Lorraine. Oh, I'm thinking of Divine Lorraine. There's a tower Mm. in Philly. It's in North Philly, just north of Temple. Yeah. And along one side of the building, someone has spray-painted in individual letters boner forever boner and this is, is a guy boner's a guy boner that's his gra- that's his graffiti tag that's his name he goes by boner oh i didn't know that i do know this because i have a t-shirt from when boner did a collab with an a t-shirt company we shall not name and i have the original first print of the boner t-shirt because it has the big b oh and i was but that's that's the thing like that's his name he, yeah. he writes boner on everything it doesn't matter though when you're driving from north philadelphia to south philadelphia yeah, through temple the, yeah, there's see. a giant dilapidated building yeah it says boner for life that was a former bank building mm-hmm. that says boner forever the number 4 yeah. ever like he's the nwo yeah. and taking over wcw so like it's this person is like, yeah, turn it into subsidized housing. One hundred percent agree. Absolutely, that person also. It won't s- happen though because it's temple, and no. they're going to turn it into condos. Yeah, and uh, but this person also messaged in that they listen to us on their commute every day to uh, to help unhoused people across North Philadelphia. So, oh hey, turn the boner tower into subsidized housing. We salute you. We salute you. After that, we have Lisa Rust. Hey, hon. After that, we have I fix things. Hey, hon. After that, we have Comstock ruined Bioshock Infinite. I don't know what the, any of that meant, but hey, hon. <laughs> and finally. Uh, we have a few more, but I have highlighted this one. I see that it's because highlighted. this is the official last Hey Hun three dollar tier member to oh. ever join. I shut it down at four fifty eight p.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Saturday. Yeah, I, I unlisted the tier at four fifty nine. This this came, through. this came through. So this person was Push already popped they, like a pimple. They Push had through. it in the cart. Yeah. Uh, so a big, a big hey hon welcome to the night man cometh. <laughs> hey, hon. Uh, after that, we have a few more. We have Carrie McCormick. Hey hon. After that, we have Meister Wizard. Hey hon. After that, we have John Perez. Hey hon. After that, we have your pod is my niche hobby. Hey hon. I love a hobby. And finally, okay, we have finger underscore in underscore ass underscore holding underscore in underscore shit. <laughs> finger in ass holding and shit. Yep. Perfect. That's a great that way to close That is the greatest out. way to close the sheer amount of Hey Huns we've just done. Hey Huns, let's meet our team leaders. So, with that, uh, I will let everybody know we are currently at 660 paid Patreons. Uh, We're going to so You're going to read that I'm book. I'm going to read that fucking book. And you're going to be so upset and it's going to be so fun. It's. I am actually shocked with how many people have jumped on in the last uh, couple weeks. How people are super in a smut right now. People are really into it. I think people just, you know, it springs around the corner and we can all Bunny feel rabbits. it. 
And we all mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say that the person who sent us the book, uh, it's the large hardback version. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, which means larger print. Yeah. Which means I'm going to have a, f- a feeling of more accomplishment because I'm going to mm-hmm. be turning the page faster. Love that. I do that on my Kindle sometimes. Yeah. I'll make the print really big. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, there's so many pages. Uh, so uh, as yeah, just remind everybody uh, before we go and start the episode and bring in uh, his name was Dusk and tell you all about Edward Bernays and the creation of the public relations industry. Oh, my gosh. And how that uh, has rotted all of our brains yeah, into yeah. a level of propaganda you can't imagine. It's not about Bernays sauce. It's not. Which is what I thought. No, it is not. Mm. Uh, before that, though, we just want to remind everyone the new sh- the show, the same show, same is going show. to be called Too Many Tabs. You don't need to do anything. You will just probably look for it in a different spot. Yeah. Uh, we are going to be blasting it out everywhere to remind you with the image and all that other fun stuff. Super cool image. Super cool image. a long time. It is very, it's a very lot of <laughs> us with a graphic designer being like, love it, tweak this, love it. Tweak this. Love yeah. it. Love it. Pinch it. Stretch it. <laughs> um, those are actual words I've written in the emails. Yeah. Uh, but those, we are super excited for this. We're so hyped. This is like we've been. And this is the first step yeah. in a lot of changes that are going to happen. A lot of really cool things. Yeah, we've had a lot of ideas. We've been sitting alone in a house together. With a baby. With a potato that yeah. that doesn't talk to us. He screams. He screams, but he doesn't talk. So He's we only have each potato. other to talk to. Yes. With our screaming potato. And, and because of that, we've had many ideas. Yes. And we've been working on get the whole time that we've used these pre-recorded episodes. We've been using that time to get all of our ducks in a row to relaunch season two, bigger and better than ever. Yes, and during that time, we've also been uh, researching not only topics that we're going to do on future episodes, but also some changes that you guys have been requesting repeatedly for this audio-only experience that maybe could be something else. Oh, uh, just a little hint there. So I've also been reading some books. Yes, you have. There's I've been a reading lot of some books. books. There's a lot of book clubs on the horizon. There's mm-hmm. a lot of other changes. We have just started putting out the polls to find out more information of what you guys really uh, lean into mm-hmm. uh, on the Patreon. But the last thing I will say uh, for everyone out there for that Hey Hun group, congratulations. That will probably be the last time it'll be at the front of the episode. Yeah. We will be doing shout outs towards the end of the episodes moving forward because a lot of people want to get into that meat and potatoes. And I know a lot of you guys just go ahead and skip meat, ahead. Meat, potatoes, broccoli, and cheddar. Yeah. And so with that, yeah, Mrs. P. Any yeah. final words before we kick it to the past? Um, everybody have a great week. It's almost spring. We're all gonna get sunshine soon. We can do this. Let's go. And with that, y'all, uh, ask your boss for a raise. <laughs> Honestly, no, no, do it. Fucking do it. No, tell your boss. Yeah, what's tell the worst boss, they're gonna do? What's yeah. they gonna say? No, okay, okay. Then go back to your desk yeah. and get paid the same. <laughs> they do, can't give you less money. Do less work. Yeah. Then you're getting paid more. Hey! <laughs> poop more often. Yeah. All right. With that, we look forward to talking to you guys next week on Pearlmania 500 Presents. Too Many Tabs. Too Many Tabs. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Pearlmania, 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 Pearlmania. 500. That's right. We're here and we're here in the past. Yeah. We're recording this at the end of October. The future past. The future past. Uh-huh. We just heard ourselves in the future mm-hmm. talking about just what's going on in our lives. We're still technically on the paternity and maternity family leave. Yep. Uh, but I'm not. We're having a great time. Yeah, but right now we're sitting here with his name was Dusk. Yeah, he's also, uh, he's our doula. He's helping take care oh, of yeah. the child. Yeah. Uh, breathe. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So we're doing great. Everyone's. <laughs> he knows what a doula does. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's super happy. <laughs> I've uh, watched enough sitcoms. Like there's always a doula in a, yeah. In yeah. a sitcom. Uh, so anyway, so we're, we're here and then we're going to do this whole episode. And this episode, I don't know. It, it feels very relevant for now when we're recording for it. For today. For today. Uh, here at the end of October, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't know how relevant, and hopefully it is not as relevant. Yeah, uh, in probably late February when we air it. Sure. I don't know. I hope so. Around my birthday. Around your birthday. Yeah, uh, we're hoping uh, because uh, this is definitely gonna... my birthday. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sorry, go on. So this is this is uh, this episode is going to be about Edward L. Bernays, like the Bernays sauce. That would be cooler. It would be much nicer. Oh, if this is a whole podcast about sauce? It would be so great if it was about Bernays sauce. Mm-hmm. Maybe about uh, Benedict's. Yeah. An egg Benedict uh, with like Canadian bacon mm-hmm. or ham. Mm-hmm. Or, I don't uh, actually know what Bernays sauce is. It's it's like in Bernays sauce like a hollandaise. Yeah, I think it's like a similar to a hollandaise sauce. I think they're similar. I think so. I don't know. You can look that up. I'll that one's up. fine. I'll allow it. Okay. Uh, sometimes I get mad because she'll just start Googling something to come up with a joke for like five minutes. And I'm like, I'm still talking and you're not making right. eye contact with right. me. Well, it's a little easier with me here because now we can fill time. Yeah. No, that's that. Yeah. And it would be even easier if you ate the mic a little more. Oh, oh. you want me to, to get up on the mic? Yeah. I'm just afraid it of touching it. It says Bernays sauce, which is French, is made of butter, egg, yolk, white wine, vinegar and herbs. It is regarded as a child of hollandaise sauce. The okay. difference is only the flavoring. Bernays uses shallots, black peppers, and tarragon, and Hollandaise uses white pepper and a pinch of cayenne. Okay. So yeah, it's like Hollandaise. Yeah, they're basically the same. I yeah. I don't know. I, I don't feel know. like it's it's a child. Like <laughs> throw it back. Wait till it grows up. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want it on my eggs. No, I understand. Uh, Should I just remove the pop filter so I can get close to the mic? No, no, no. It was okay. fine. It was just the angle that it was at. All right. Okay. Listen, listen. This is. This is the second episode we've recorded today. It's true. And so some of us are a little testy. Some it's of us have headaches. Some of us. of us didn't get to take a nap while everyone else got to take a nap. It's only one of us. Can uh, I actually just say, and this will probably be like uh, like vindicating for the two of you. Yeah. Yeah. The first time I did one, I was like gung-ho to do the second one. Yeah. yeah. This time, I'm like, I could see how sometimes they're like a little like, <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot today. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was. It was a lot today. But now, here we are in the past talking uh-huh. to our listeners in the future. We love and respect all of them. I think, I don't know, there a lot could happen between when this is being oh, recorded it's, and it's when. it's true. Yeah. Yeah. But let's talk about propaganda. 
Oh, wait. I thought we were talking about brunch sauces. No, 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 no. The man is Edward L. Bernays. Okay. Uh, he is considered the father of public relations, mm-hmm. uh, which is a term he created because people got really weird about calling it propaganda. Got oh. it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm going to let you guys know that some of the information I got, obviously, besides just from his Wikipedia and general internet stuff, um, I did go to the library mm-hmm. and I walked around all the reference books. Okay. Pulling them off the shelves. Uh, our library didn't have any of the many books written by Edward L. Bernays himself. Mm. Oh. Um, but I did get some good summaries of his life. One of them was from the Encyclopedia of World Biography, which is a reference book. Okay. Uh, he was not in... The, quote, Great Lives from History Jewish Americans reference book, though. Uh, But that book does have Henry Kissinger and Woody Allen on the cover. So, you know, when we're going with, they were like, yeah, here we go. Great Jews. So the guy who invented PR doesn't have enough good PR to get on that book? Yes. But Woody Allen does. And Henry Kissinger. Yeah. Yeah. And Sammy Good, uh, not Sammy Good. Uh, Sammy Davis Jr. was also on yes. the cover, so I was okay, like, "Oh, well, that's 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 all, right, all over well. the place." So it's uh, really just celebrities, basically. Yeah, well, it's celebrities and then like a couple Supreme Court justices. That's most right. of that book. Okay. So Edward L. Bernays, um, he was born in 1891. All right. And he was born in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Ooh. Okay. So a lot I of notice you didn't hit the button. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, we have not. We're there's in no way am <laughs> oh. I hitting the no Nazi oh, guarantee God. button. Oh. Um, no, it's fine because he leaves. Uh, oh. He leaves the Austro-Hungarian Empire in 1892 at the age of one years old. His okay. parents oh. get a job. Um, his mom's name was Anna, and uh, his dad's name was Eli. Um, his mother was Sigmund Freud's sister. Oh, oh, yeah, like that Sigmund Freud, like oh. Doctor Freud. Wait, okay. his mom, yeah, had the same mom as Freud. Yes. Yo, that's wild. Because that mom caused a lot of issues. Sure. And his dad uh-huh. was the brother of Sigmund Freud's wife. Hold up. Wait. I they okay. oh, I don't wait. like that. That that's listen, that is that's a connected tree, but not genetically. Yeah. Okay. So a, so his it was like two brother sister pairs marrying. Yeah, it's like when you see those twins that marry other twins. Oh my god. Yeah. So and, weird. So strange. Yeah. So but it's it's that it's that deal there. And then Freud had all that time to talk shit on his mom when everybody else was doing this type of wild shit. Yes, a hundred percent. But we're not here to talk this about feels Freud. It's like a weird crossover with the last episode. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that I did, because I mentioned Freud in the Dali episode. Oh, right. Which uh, I can talk about now. Yeah, so Freud's <laughs> wife's name was Martha Bernays, um, and then their grand, the, the grandfather, the paternal grandfather, was Isaac Bernays. Uh, he was the chief rabbi of Hamburg and a relevant, uh, relative of the poet Heinrich Heine. Um, I looked a little bit into him, a uh, very complicated poet a from Mecca German. A Mecca like a high, Mecca Heine ho? That's why I left it in there, just so you'd have that joke. Thank you. Uh, so like I said, they moved to New York City when Edward was uh, one year old. Okay. Um, when they moved there, his dad became a grain merchant. So he's buying and selling grains and stuff like that. All right. Oats, uh, in barley, New York. wheat. Yep. Uh, his dad, Eli, really hoped that his son would also follow him uh, you know, in, in and become a grain merchant and work in this type of thing. Got to uh, make that bread. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Edward... <laughs> Uh, Edward ended up go- went to New York City <laughs> schools. I'm taking my shirt off. I know I'm in it now. Uh, Edward went to New York City schools and eventually enrolled in the Agricultural College of Cornell University. 
corn. Okay. Got it. Yeah, because you know when I think of Cornell, I think of I didn't, all know, the I great didn't realize farmers. that I didn't realize that Cornell was a farm school about corn. Yeah. No. Until now. Yeah. Well. Okay. I guess this is going to be a very punny episode. Where is Cornell again? Uh, isn't Cornell? I think Cornell's in New York. Okay. Like in New York and City. Where? Where? Where was he living before this? In New York City. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So right, he's like he moved at one. He moved at one. Yeah. Yeah. So that. he he's living in New York City. Where's Cornell? It's in Ithaca. Ithaca, New York. Ithaca. Okay, so it's more okay. upstate. Um, so, uh, yeah, so he, he goes to Cornell. He graduates uh, from Cornell University in 1912. Mm-hmm. And he got a job working, like, in the grain type of agricultural stuff. And he starts writing for an agricultural publication. And he works for a grain exchange uh, for a little bit. In fact, even moving to Paris uh, and while working at the Grain Exchange, basically he was reading what's called grain cables. Okay. So the same way you read like stock tickers. Yeah. So he was reading like, okay, in this area, they're paying this much for per pound of wheat or whatever. Pros- okay. He was like prospecting. Kind of, yeah. He That's basically the whole thing the is. Yeah, yeah. Trading futures. Yep. Uh, what was the name of the, you said, sorry, you said a grain uh, he worked at a grain publication. Publication. It did not say the okay. name. Uh, I could not find the such name. Such a specific. But well, yeah. well, you know what it is. It's a lot like those magazines that are very industry specific. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like yeah. so, like oh yeah, it's for. Um, I'm trying to think like concrete, yeah, sure, concrete quarterly or something yeah. like that. It's that sort of general. All thing. the lawyers have the bar reporter. They yeah, all read the bar reporter magazine, the, the gluten report. Yeah, this is what you're describing. Yeah, the, the gluten report. The gluten report. Yeah, yeah. This man invented propaganda and and, and gluten. <laughs> wow. Um. So he's your best friend. Yeah. Okay. Uh. So Edward uh, Bernays. Uh, you know, he did about a year of this, looked around, looked at both facets, actually being somebody who buys and sells the idea of food mm-hmm. and then someone who could write up about it. And he decided he liked doing the writing part better. And he tells his dad that he's going to pursue a career in journalism instead of grain sales. And this broke his father. His dad wasn't super happy about it, but like his family was doing well enough. They're like, OK, yeah, I guess go try out comedy. Uh <laughs> Uh, you, I think you accidentally said comedy. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, sorry, sorry. That, sorry, that, that was might have been a Bernaysian slip. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so uh, Edward, uh, with a friend of his, becomes the founder and co-editor of a magazine called the Medical Review of Reviews, Wait. as well as a second magazine called Diet Dietic and Hygienic Gazette in 1912. All right, With, these are terrible names. Yes. You want me to believe someone who invented PR and propaganda came up with these really bad names? Uh, so this is 1912. Right. Remember, so these are great names. <laughs> you gotta, because you got to fail before yeah. you can succeed. Like it, got it. Knowing, it's like, oh, why, did we, why did we put review twice? Got to write that down. I'm yeah. gonna, don't put review twice. Don't put review twice. But see, this is a review of reviews. <laughs> yeah. I, um, the idea of a Yelp for Yelps is hilarious. Yeah. Well, that's basically what I mean. That's what CNET is, and like a bunch of other websites where you're going online and you're looking at things to help you with online things of like, oh, hey, where's the best? Are Google reviews better than Zillow reviews versus better than this? Like, that's that same general idea, and that's what he's doing. And he does it in a basically free magazine that has a national distribution network 
to thousands of doctors across the United States. Okay, see, because I was like, how is it free? But it's going to doctors. Yep. Um, And it's being paid for by corn subsidies? It's being paid for by advertisement and then also basically a Patreon of its own where Mm -hmm. he has certain patrons who are paying for it. And then also the doctors themselves like, hey, if you like our mission, please give us money. Speaking of which, if you're listening right now, you can always (laughs) join our Patreon, uh, Pearlmania.net. It'll take you right to our Patreon. Also, patreon.com slash Pearlmania500. So with that, um, he's sending these out and it's going well. It's actually building up a really good uh, network, and like people are like, "Oh yeah, the Medical Review of Reviews is a reputable magazine." Um, it does. It's starting to do so well that he starts the Sociological Fund. Okay. Yep. Is this a nonprofit to hide cash flow? It's not to hide cash flow. Okay. It's actually he starts basically a nonprofit, but it's um it's to do one specific thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he decides to do this and he markets it and he's able to do it. He raises $11,000 okay. to produce mm-hmm. and stage a French medical play titled Les Ivories. Uh, okay, Ivories is eggs, right? Uh, it, transla- it translates uh, to damaged goods oh. in English. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, so this is a play about uh, venereal disease. Oh, oh, specifically oh. syphilis. Okay. Uh, so okay. this is this is a synopsis of the play. All right. Um, in the play, a 26-year-old man named George Dupont is about to marry his fiance. When a doctor is explain in the first scene, the doctor's explaining to George Dupont, "Hey, you have syphilis. Uh-huh. Uh, you should not get married right now." You should be treated for this syphilis, mm-hmm. and you should enter into treatment so you don't pass it on to your fiance and any future children you have. Yeah. Now, at that time, a treatment for syphilis was a three to four year treatment involving like horrifying medicine. Well, yeah, uh, it wasn't great. In the forties, we invent penicillin, and we we're able to actually deal with syphilis mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. well. Um, in the play, though, George Dupont refuses. He goes on and he gets married. Uh, the couple get married, they have a baby, and the baby in the second act is very, very sick. Yeah. And they bring in a different doctor, and that doctor eventually diagnoses the baby with congenital syphilis. Mm-hmm. They are arguing back and forth. The doctor, the the mother of the child, I'll just call her the bride from here, the bride, uh, and George, they're all arguing back and forth because they don't want the doctor to tell the wet nurse because oh. then the child won't be able to eat. And the wet nurse hears them arguing about it and refuses to treat the baby. Uh, the scene, the second scene ends with the mom falling to the ground, screaming and crying that her child is going to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third act, the bride's father, who is a uh, well-off man, okay. goes to the original doctor who diagnosed George, yeah. George DuPont, and says to him... Um, he wants the doctor to declare that George knew he had syphilis before he married his daughter. Ah, an annulment. So, yep, so that way his daughter can get a divorce. And the doctor refuses because of privacy laws. Sure. HIPAA didn't exist back then, but there was still the general privacy. Sure. Um, and then the father says that there should be mandatory blood tests that should happen before anyone is allowed to get married. Mm-hmm. And the doctor says, no, there's already too many laws. We should just stop being so fucking weird about syphilis. Okay. And I'm... that's the end of the play. Wait. Okay. I... 
oh my god it's a morality play oh. right but it doesn't actually solve the mo- like the, there's two competing yeah. there's opinions. a lot of different morals going yeah. on yeah. so just so you know by 1954 all but eight united states all but eight states across mm-hmm. the united states uh required blood tests yeah. before they issued marriage licenses yeah i know that part now it's not we don't do it anymore when when did they stop uh, they didn't stop until pretty recently, yeah. like in like the last like 20, 25 what, what years. What time period was that that you said that they did By it? By 1954. So in 1954, what exactly could they test with a blood test? Because I so know that a lot of testing, stuff has coming, yeah, come you, up more recently. You were testing mostly for syphilis. So okay. syphilis, gonorrhea, and a bunch of other venereal diseases. And it was to stem their idea being, hey, before you get married... Because you're not supposed to be having sex before then. Yeah. Before you get married, though, we should test you. And so a lot of people would go to like Niagara Falls was a place where you didn't have to get uh, tested. Sure. And there were certain states. So you would have a lot of people who would, quote, run away and get eloped. Oh, uh, right. That's That was the, oh, we don't have to do, like like when Mrs. Perlman and I got our, our um, marriage certificate, mm-hmm. we went to an office. We both had our IDs. And we both sat down and said, yeah, we want to get married. And then they were like, okay, well, you're both consenting adults. Uh, stamp, stamp, here you go. But back then, you'd have to go to an office and go, we both want to get married. They'd be like, okay, uh, you have to both go to a medical thing. They have to fill out paperwork. Then those mm-hmm. have to be sent to the right. to, to the court. Mm-hmm. Then the court will stamp. It would take like a week or a month. Yeah. Right. You go um, in there and they're like, okay, which one of you has syphilis? Yeah, yeah basically. Or, um. So he, he wrote a, a magazine for doctors. Yes. About reviews, about reviews. Yep. That was also just full of advertisements. And the docs loved it. So they signed up for his Patreon to get more of these reviews about reviews. Mm-hmm. And then he used that money to start a nonprofit to teach people about the the, the worrisomeness of syphilis. No, he, he to take the stigma off of syphilis. How did that play out the because, stigma? Because it's not the bride or the child's fault that they got syphilis. Well, yeah, that was always implied, right? I thought we... No, no, no. it wasn't. Back oh. then, the wife and the child would both be uh, outcast from society after oh, that moment. Okay. And that's Anyone the whole thing is the, right. the damaged goods mm. isn't because they went out and, and the bride was whoring around or that the baby really wanted syphilis or even the wet nurse. Yeah. Because you can't pass it on. That You can't pass on congenital syphilis that way unless there's an open sore on the areola. Like which, I looked it up. It does happen. It does happen. It but yeah. it can happen, but it's it's less likely. Yeah. Um this was actually a huge play. Uh, was it successful? Did people love this? It was incredibly successful. The per- the first performance of Damaged Goods, a special matinee for members of the Sociological Fund, occurred on March 14th, 1913 at the Fulton Theater on Broadway in New York City. The following month, the Sociological Fund arranged for a special performance of the play at the National Theater in Washington, D.C. for U.S. President Woodrow Wilson, members of his cabinet, and members of Congress. Uh, after that, the play then held its public premiere at the Fulton Theater in Broadway. It now has enough press about it. Yeah. It played for 66 uh, performances when initially they were only planning on running it for 14 performances. Wow. Uh, and then following that run, the actor, the main actor who was playing in it, uh, took it as a play across the country. In the United States, this play was a huge deal and actually changed the way people viewed venereal disease specifically mm-hmm. of how like... Yeah, you know, you can get it from having sex, but it also might not be your fault. Yeah. That became 
in the Victorian era, like or the Edwardian era, like this period of time, that wasn't how this was viewed. Remember, syphilis was viewed as the French disease or the the Italian disease, depending whatever country you hated the most, mm. you blamed syphilis for. That was like an ancient thing. That's how long we ever since the the day after we were post potato, because potatoes and syphilis came to the to Europe at the same time. Um <laughs> Weird syphilis from llamas, right? Isn't that like a? I don't know if it's from llamas. That's what I heard. I I just, I just picture them packing the boat. All right, what do we got? We got everything. We got uh, the llamas. We got one guy. Hold on, hold on, hold (laughs) the boat. We got potatoes. They're gonna be so excited to get these potatoes. Wait till they figure out what you can do with potatoes and cheese sauce. Yeah. Now, well, I feel like what is the one thing we're missing? Hey, hey, Lumpy Larry. He wasn't lumpy. Lumpy Larry. He wasn't lumpy when we left Spain, by the way. I just want to point that out. No, no, that's just like a fun nickname. It's like when you see a really big guy and they all call him tiny. It's it's a yeah. It's just lumpy Larry. But now he's like really lumpy. No, I was. (laughs) I had the lumps before. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Uh, That's my Spanish accent. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Don't let don't let Lumpy Larry. Don't let him show you his dick. All right. You don't want to see Lumpy Larry's dick. Um, but so the play was incredibly well received in the in America. Uh, it was banned in the United Kingdom and Australia, well, and it was restricted to male-only audiences in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Because, um, again, this is originally a French play, and then it was translated, and then while they're trying to show it in other different places, it gets banned. Um, the play was the first time uh, the words syphilis were said in a stage play in the United States. I like that in this scenario, America's more chill about morality around sex stuff than Australia. Yeah. The first and only time. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they do still Photoshop labias out in Australia. Okay. I just meant like historically because they were a prison camp. We were a religious camp. Yeah, no, no. But they're still, Australians are super weird about sex still. Oh, really? Yeah, no. They, they like legit, it's illegal to show. I think it's the labia. I don't know. In their, no, like in, in their version of Playboy and magazine stuff like that. Like oh. you're not allowed to show certain parts of the actual existing anatomy that is really in parts i don't mean they might have they maybe they they pulled that back i would google it but i don't want to ruin my search you really don't want to uh the new york times referred to when they were discussing the play uh referred to it as a rare blood disease and quote a subject which hitherto has practically been confined to medical publications Mm. um because again they wouldn't even talk like this is just a disease nobody wants to even say the name of it yeah they were so weirded out by it because against that victorian age feeling the scottish disease yeah uh meanwhile 10 percent of the united states population why do you hate scotland no because of the scottish play oh you're not supposed to say its name (laughs) that's pretty good (laughs) oh man uh (laughs) Uh, 10% of the United States population at the time uh, had or was at risk for syphilis. 10%? Yeah. It was, That's a pretty high number. It yeah. was incredibly, incredibly high. Uh, People the Amer- do love having sex, though. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the American production of damaged goods mitigated the potentially controversial effects of its subject matter by its associations with respectable journals like the Medical Review of Reviews, oh as well as gaining the approval of John D. Rockefeller, uh, the mayor of New York, uh, as well as the president and other people at the time. In a feature story, the New York Times described the play as, quote, having the approval of many of our leading men and women. Mm. Hmm. So it's so because all Who these high the powered women, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt and uh, uh, I think okay. FDR also during around this time. I think he, I don't know if he was governor. I don't think he was governor of New York at the time. 
Uh, but there were like people who were in higher society yeah. who were like, no, this is a medical play. Like, yeah, it's talking about body stuff, but you know, body as in like a baby with syphilis, but like it's, it's, it's better than mm-hmm. just, this isn't guys standing around in a saloon being like, how'd you get it? You know, yeah. right. this isn't cats. Basically. Um, the success of this play uh, led Edward away from being a journalist mm-hmm. in journalism and led him into working as a publicist for theatrical productions. Uh, and his big thing with that was building public interest for not only plays, but also actors and special events. I just love he's like editing the review of reviews. Yeah. He's like, you know, the MMR, the one thing that this doesn't have that I really want is a good educational story about STDs. Like, it's such yeah. a weird jump. Like, I get it's medical and medical, but it is like a. Yeah. I just picture him working there, just basically copy and pasting things from other magazines and then being like. Sure, <sighs> dream of, of my play. <laughs> yeah. I want to copy and paste this French play onto a stage. Because uh-huh. it was. It's a translation of a French play. Oh. Oh, really? It already existed. Yeah, no, he's, I didn't. He, he didn't write it. it. No, oh. I didn't. I didn't say he stole it. No, that. I didn't say he stole it. Someone translated it from French mm-hmm. into English. I'm sorry I didn't make that clear earlier. Got it. Someone, in, in, I think in the UK, translated this French play, which they the French actually had regularly plays about this type of thing. This is a lot like when you see those World War II films mm-hmm. about like when you're on, uh, you know, when you're on a shore leave, like watch out for these signs of like, you know, yeah, blah, yeah. Blah, like, hey, it hurts. It burns when I pee like so that type of film. He was um, he made the play version of that. He was the producers before the play, the producers, except he wasn't trying to fail. Yeah. He was he was he was purposely he wanted to spread the message that syphilis might not be your fault. And if we and again, the point of the play, if we stop being weird about syphilis, we might actually be able to treat it because the best way, much like when dealing with drug addiction or dealing with anything else, how we dealt with the AIDS crisis and all these other things. If you have a stigma around it, Mm -hmm. then no one is going to seek treatment. Yeah. Right. As long as there's a stigma, then why George DuPont did not take his treatment because he didn't want the stigma. And now not only his wife, but also his child have syphilis. And he yeah. didn't tell them because he didn't want to. He didn't want them to know. The yeah. and- so that's the whole point that the, right. the point of the play was. And that's what he thought. That's what Edward L. Bernays thought was so important. Yeah. Now, one thing I do want to say, uh, his name, he tells everyone his name is Edward L. Bernays. His name is actually just Edward Bernays. L is not on his birth certificate. So where did it come from? Uh, he wanted his name to seem bigger uh, because he's only five foot four. <sighs> I just wanted to throw that in there. It was weirdly in a biography, okay. and I just wanted to. <sighs> I'm gonna... is, do you know what uh, religion he was? He was Jewish, okay. just like Sigmund Freud. Okay. Yep. Um, so the success of this play, like I said, he now gets into publicizing, uh, becoming a publicist for theatrical productions. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also he does some like pretty zany things for some other plays and for some uh, actors that come into town. Uh, there's this one play called Daddy Long Legs that's about uh, an orphan who gets put through college. Mm-hmm. It's not weird. All right. Uh, okay. You both are giving me a look like it's weird. It's just about like, hey, we should support orphans. So he makes sure 
that in the newspapers at the time, there are more positive stories about how we should help orphans mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then ties that in with the play. Is it kind of like, a, what's the movie, Aunt, like Annie? Annie. Yeah, yeah Annie. kind of. Okay. Um, yeah, kind of, except the, the person in this play never knows who's giving them the money. Oh, there's no Daddy Warbucks. It's, okay. That's why it's Daddy Longlegs, and what they do, what he does is... it sounds... It's somewhat like they're there was a big related. orphan population. Yeah. There was there was a much bigger orphan population there back then. There's a lot of shows about orphans. There's just so many orphans. That's uh, true. But the whole point of this play was that basically the young woman who was getting put through college mm-hmm. out of the or straight from out of the orphanage, mm-hmm. she writes a letter that's all she's never gonna find out who's who's um supporting her. Mm-hmm. But the only way she has to make repayment is every month she has to write a letter to whoever this guy is. Yeah. And so each the play is each month her reading the letter of okay. what happened. Okay. Um, you know, and it's her comparing of like my life in the orphanage versus seeing being outside. Right. And so again, it's a social thing. It's it's kind of what he's yeah. building there. The uh he That's has, a pretty weird request. I need to say that out loud. What? Like if you're sponsoring someone yeah. to go like pay for their college and you're gonna put them through school and you're like I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm going to pay for your books. But don't you remember? But every week you have to write a letter. But don't you? It was every month. Every month. Thing. But don't you remember back in the day? Remember that one lady who'd be like, for 15 cents a day, you could feed children in Africa. Yeah. One of the selling points of that was every month you were going to get a letter from those starving kids. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's yeah, so that was strange. one of the things was like, yeah, that way you would keep giving money because yeah. you know it was connected to someone. And it would be mailed to you. You it's weren't going to know the kid directly, and you're going to like their picture. It's just, gonna, it's just grant reporting. Also, on, it is. on like the real world, where at the end of a scene, sometimes they will stand in front of the camera and uh, tell you what happened, even though you were watching it. Yeah, got it. Yeah, same general idea. The other, um, and so he did that play and, uh, and some others. But he also, I want to say he manipulated the news media. Yes. To like further the play. Yes. Okay. Um, the other thing he did was there was a uh, a famous actress that came to town. He like had her uh, her picture taken provocatively while she's holding a snake oh. in a zoo. Uh, a very phallic snake. Mm. Uh, and then there was another, there was a singer and he pl- he placed a lot of stories in the newspapers about how this guy's voice had to be protected and all the crazy precautions he had to take. Mm-hmm. You know, wrapping his throat. He doesn't speak for a week before performances. Uh-huh. He only drinks a specific type of tea. It was all bullshit. It's starting to sound like P.T. Barnum. It is, but it's also he knows how to drop these into uh-huh. the public consciousness. Mm-hmm. So that way, like when you see the singer, like, yeah, the singer's good. Like, there's, we're not saying the singer sure. isn't good, but... He's making the singer extra special and then also telling you, like, he's not going to sing that many. So you better get the ticket now. You'll never believe what this singer has to do to prepare for a show. It's clickbait. Yeah. He's just doing clickbait. He's doing clickbait super early. Right. Um, He begins, Edward begins to make a pretty big name for himself in the world of theater promotion. Um, And that's from 1913 all the way until 1917 when the United States entered World War One. Edward was 26. And he joined the Committee on Public Information. Okay. So the Committee on Public Information was established by the Woodrow Wilson administration through executive order to coordinate, as its chairman, George Creel, stated, quote, not propaganda as the Germans defined it, but Mm. propaganda in the true sense of the word, meaning the propagation of faith. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. So How basically did the Germans define it? Well basically a lot of people at this time were just kind of like the the science of propaganda, if you will, was had was starting to really start up because there's 
as we've covered on this podcast and, and through when you start reading about stuff, especially from like the 1870s through basically World War II, mm-hmm. there's a lot of new sciences being formed and new ideas and using the scientific method is becoming more common. Right. And as that happens, there's a weirdness about it because when we look at it now, we're like, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. The Germans were like, here's how we can get a nation out of no nation. Uh-huh. Because remember, before World War II, it's like the 1870s, Germany was a bunch of tiny little countries. Sure. And they weren't one under a single Kaiser mm-hmm. or any of that different stuff. They used it to solidify themselves as a nation out of these tiny little states. So they brought themselves together. And when outside powers were looking at it, they're like, that's weird. That's gross. But mm-hmm. see, the, all these other outside powers had used like years of ethnic cleansing to oh, make themselves sure. into one of these nations. They're like, oh, you're going to use marketing? Yeah, basically. Ugh. And it, it, that's basically what the Germans did. But now some of that marketing, though, what, from outside look viewers – pre-World War One, they're like, that's kind of crazy. That's weird. And people were starting to see what you can do using Bismarckian theory, which is taking two groups that hate each other and giving them a third party to hate. And suddenly, right. hey, the two of us, oh, I wear a red shirt, you wear a blue shirt. Oh, we hate each other. We hate each other. We both hate the Cowboys. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Yeah, the Dallas Cowboys. Of course, to the be Dallas clear. Cowboys. I yeah. want to yeah, be clear. Yeah, it was the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> yeah, I, I think. Oh, I guess all of your listeners aren't from Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. So yeah. So this is kind of what he means, and also he's George Creel, the chairman, is doing propaganda in this statement. He's like, yeah, the germ. Yes, yes, the Germans do propaganda. Right. This on paper, this sounds similar. Uh-huh. But we're doing propagation. It's right. different. We're doing it different. Yeah, we're doing it in English. We're doing proper uh, propaganda. So the the I'm going to call it the CPI, but that's the uh, Committee on Public Information. The mm-hmm. CPI under George Creel set up propaganda efforts across the United States. Uh, pamphlets, books, posters, newspaper release, releases, magazine advertisement, films, school campaigns. And they also did this thing um, called the Four Minute Men, uh, which were these short four-minute speeches that happened all across America. The CPI trained thousands of volunteer speakers in basically every language that they knew was being spoken in America at the Mm -hmm. time. And these people would get up and make patriotic appeals during the four-minute breaks it took to change reels in a movie theater. That's so annoying. Wait, okay. So when you're watching movies back in the day. I I know the four-minute, but so they would just like. Stand up. They would. No, but they they would stand up, but it was. This was a regular thing in theaters. Yeah. That like someone would get up and sing a song, or somebody would do a a, a Shakespeare sonnet okay, or it was something. Like paid, like yes. the theater paid them to do the well, thing. Well, the they theater were... the theater set aside time, and then people could go do whatever. A lot of times it was vaudeville acts and things sure. like that back in the day. Mm. You, you but run when your you were top, your tight five, yeah. But when you were going from real to real, when you were switching between the movies that you were showing, or even still showing the same movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes the movie would be on multiple reels. Right, of course. Yeah. They had to, when it finished, I now have to go rewind the entire film mm-hmm. and then take that off, put the new one in, make sure it's tied in properly, time it all together, get right. the music set up because the music is separate, all those different things. Right, right, yeah. right. I was picturing it way more annoying. Like when um, recently there was a video from that Pink concert, the singer Pink. And some guy stood up in the middle of her concert and started screaming about um, circumcisions. 
and he went on like a five minute rant about circumcisions mm. during her set dur- but like it was like a there was a qu- quick lull in the pink concert which is notoriously like a really yeah, extravagant yeah. concert yeah. and he just started screaming and she just kind of looked at him and was like what are you talking what do i know about that what do you mean yeah and like that i was picturing myself like i'm at the movies i've gone to see barbie for the third time and some man Legit. just stands up and starts talking yeah. during this moment of break when we all just want to go pee yeah well this was more of the but it, uh, the, it sounds like it was something that people were used no, this, to this was a regular thing yeah. that would happen so the, instead of the intermission of let's all go to the movies and that type of deal yeah the intermission was someone's gonna get up and they're gonna sing a song they're gonna give a small speech they're gonna do a little act and they looked around and they said this is basically a commercial break yeah and the cpi was like for four minutes, you're going to get up and you're going to talk about rah, rah, how we need you to buy war bonds and you need to do this and these things. And we're all in it together. And like I said, they made sure that this was given in every language for all the disparate ethnic groups. So in the Italian neighborhoods, mm. their guys getting up and giving an Italian. Mm-hmm. We're giving in all the different languages all across. Um, and Creole later boasted that in 18 months, his 75,000 volunteer four-minute men delivered over 7.5 million orations to over 300 million listeners. Wow. At the time, there were only 103 million people in the United States. Hmm. Why were they volunteer? They couldn't be paid? It was a volunteer. It was a volunteer organization. They this, just wanted to do it for the Patriots. Yes, God, yes, they really got sold. No, they really did. It's uh, almost like this guy was really good at convincing people. I things. guess so. It was almost as if he was propagating faith. Wow. Um. So Edward Bernays, he focused on businesses working in Latin America. Okay. <laughs> uh, he wanted to keep them building support for World War I. Uh, and it was generally like, you know, make sure you're still making your shipments on time and those different things. Because before, writing up into this point, and even after this for the rest of our lives, the United States is still like controlling a lot of the Latin American businesses. Sure. And things like that. And we're going to touch back on this later. However, Bernays... Uh, Bernays did refer to this work that he did during World War One as, quote, psychological warfare. So, like, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> sure. He, he. Psychological he, warfare on the businesses? Of, no. La- of Latin American yeah. nations. Yeah. Oh. But also, like, the psychological warfare of building a war effort in your own country. Like, yeah. yeah. No, but he, he, specifically what he was doing. Oh, I see. He was building psychological warfare to make sure that, like, they're not serving... I don't know if they have rubber. I don't think they have rubber tree plants down there, but like the raw materials in Panama sure. will not be sold to the Germans. Oh, right. You right. only yeah. want to sell to America right. and the allies. You mm. don't want to ship uh-huh. oranges or whatever. Right, to right, these. Right. Don't ship it to this place. So then they can end up in these guys' arms. That's what he's doing at the time. Um, over the, remember the other thing to remember about world war one, um, which we mentioned before in prior episodes, the United States enters it very late. Like, Damn near the end. Yeah. Um, that's what we do. We, we came in. We, we came show up in, at the end. We showed up. And we went, fuck yeah. And then we, you know, the World War One was already kind of on its way out. Um, over the U.S., the United States, short involvement in the war. Uh, public perception of the CPI started to turn. At the beginning, people were very for it. Um, eventually, though, uh, people were like, this is kind of weird. I feel like, you know, what? two months into having propaganda, being telling you to be sure you're being patriotic. Mm-hmm. Okay. But by like... Week month nine, month twelve, you're kind of like this is kind of weird. Yeah, uh, including one Pennsylvania senator referred to the Committee on Public Information as quote the Committee of Public Misinformation. Whoa. Ah, oh. Got him. Got him. Dang. Got him. Dang.
Um, damn, can you imagine? He probably never came back from that. No. No. In fact, so much Slandled. so that committee work was curtailed after July 1st, oh. 1918. <laughs> oh, shit, dude. Uh, domestic activities stopped in the Americas after the armistice was signed on November 11th, 1918. Uh, and Bernays was part of a scandal oh. uh, because he was part of a 16-person team of CPI members who were sent to Paris. And Edwards stated a uh, in a press release that the CPI members, quote, announced objective of the expedition is to interpret the work of the peace conference by keeping up a worldwide propaganda to disseminate American accomplishments and ideals. Uh, and everyone was like, you're doing what, bro? You're there to do propaganda? The shit the dudes we just beat used to love to do? Mm -hmm. That's fucking weird. That's fucking weird, Edward. Hey, Edward, what religion are you? And he's like, whoa, Zoidberg away. The foreign operations ended uh, shortly after that on June 30th, 1919. Uh, and Woodrow Wilson himself abolished the CPI by executive order 3154 on August 21st, 1919. Was it just abolished on paper for the public? Oh, no, it was actually formally abolished. Oh, all right. Uh, Bernays later described a realization that he had, though, while he was working for the CPI, mm -hmm. uh, which is that everything that he just did during wartime, yeah. you could do during peacetime. Right, of course. Yeah. But most places were like, hey, once that's done, we're done. Like, that's a right. war thing. Yeah. And he was like, no, 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 no. Marketing is life, he yeah, said. Yeah, that's basically it. Uh, he said, quote, there was one basic lesson I learned in the CPI, that efforts comparable to those applied by the CPI to affect the attitudes of the enemy, of neutrals, and people of this country could be applied with equal, equal facility to peacetime pursuits. In other words... What could be done for a nation at war could be done for organizations and people in a nation at peace. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Cool guy. I'm concerned. You're concerned? I could. Uh, it seems like he's really good at it. Yeah. And I feel like uh, he might be able to wield this power in a, a way that could hurt people. In 1919, Edward returns uh -oh. to the United he didn't say States, no, did he? and he opens. He he calls himself the nation's first public relations council. Okay, uh, and he opens the Edward L. Bernays Council on Public Relations. He officially becomes a consultant. Okay, he's a council, PR consultant. C O U N S E L. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Um, but yeah. here's the thing: he wasn't alone in this venture. Um, a childhood friend of his. Uh, was with him and became the first employee of, of the Edward L. Bernays Council on Public Relations. That person's name was Doris Fleischman. Um, what? That name is familiar. It's, it's a not. Fleisch, it's the Fleischman Museum. Yeah, right? not, not okay. no relation. Okay. okay, I did look it up. Okay. No relation. Doris Fleischman uh, and Edward go way back from. They grew up in the same neighborhood. They were mm -hmm. close friends. I think that. Um, they, they just had like a, a lot to, you know, back and forth. They just kept being in and out of each other's lives. Uh, in 1922, Edward Bernays and Doris Fleischman married. Okay. Oh. Uh, immediately after the wedding, she, uh, Doris Fleischman signed into the Waldorf Astoria hotel using her maiden name. Mm -hmm. Im immediately after. Yep. They, they literally got married and they were staying that evening in the hotel and they both had to sign the hotel book and he signed Edward L. Bernays. And she signed Doris Fleischman. Okay. Uh, this was considered so unusual at the time that it was headlines in newspapers the next morning. 
because the next morning that's Wait, who not was normal reading this the the the, the hotel, hotel staff yeah yeah they were like just like that boy weird. was like didn't they just get married yeah. i gotta tell someone yeah she's still using her maiden name though she's not going by doris bernays she's going by doris fleischman okay uh they then traveled to europe and before doing so uh doris had a passport issued under her maiden name again doris fleischman she is the first American woman in history to be married and have her maiden name printed on a passport. I mean, it's branding. The, the, they both understood branding. Yeah. Uh, and it, she was like, hey, look, homie, I'm not changing my name. That's my brand. And he was like, respect. I respect that. Also, did he not leak the story? Do we know? Like, oh, he wasn't using oh. it as like all press is like all press is a good press, right? Fleischman was an avid feminist, and she later became an active member of the Lucy Stone League, mm-hmm. which empowered women and urged them to keep their maiden names after marriage. Hmm. Um, after their marriage, Fleischman was an equal partner in the firm. Nice. Immediately. Uh, and it should be noted that all of Edward's accomplishments are hand in hand with Doris's. Okay. Uh, they were partners, and they worked on every project together. Okay. Neither of them did anything separate. Okay. They both had equal say. Fleischman was a trained and dedicated journalist and a writer, often writing the perm, the firm's press releases, speeches, and correspondence. Did she? Did uh, he also like give her credit? Yes. Like, okay, that's yes, awesome. Yes, regularly. Yeah. I mean, to the extent that they could at the time. Right, sure. Yeah. Because there were certain ways that they, it sure. wasn't uh, recognized. Uh, the two had two daughters together. Doris Bernays, uh, born in 1929, and Anne Bernays, born in 1930. Uh, So with that, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the public relations campaigns that Doris and uh, Edward uh, do together. I will state, once again, these are both of them, but historically it is looked at as Edwards. And for the most part, as I was reading things, I couldn't find particularly the exact thing she did because he always had the title of like public relations director or consultant. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, she could be on the side, like being the one actually writing everything, but he's the one in the meetings. He's the one shaking the hands and signing the contracts. Mm -hmm. So with that, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, If you are not a Patreon member, then you are going to hear commercials. If you are a Patreon member, you're just going to hear us a lot faster. Ayo. back <laughs> here again with his name was dusk and mrs pearlmania uh we were just talking about doris and edward uh, edward bernays and doris fleischman mm-hmm. um and yeah we're now going to get into the public relations campaigns that they did through their public relations council okay okay you guys excited they're consultants they're consultants but yeah, yeah so basically for all of these companies they aren't direct employees they're brought in for specific campaigns for specific purposes mm-hmm. and one thing to keep in mind is that Edward Bernays is the nephew of Sigmund Freud. Yeah. So not only is he really good at public relations, really good Mm. at publicizing things, doing those things, he also is regularly reading the works of his uncle. And just like psychological magazines probably in general because of that. Yeah, Yeah, but also specifically what his uncle... And his uncle at the time is writing groundbreaking work about subliminal messaging and right, things right. like that like you know what are what are subconscious things and then he's also starting to look into um you know crowd dynamics and all these and applying yep. scientific theory behind it in 1920 one of the first projects that edward does 
is to promote and publish his uncle Sigmund Freud's new book. The book is Introductory Lectures on Psychoanalysis. Uh, Edward sent the royalty money back to his uncle in Vienna. Uh, and then he asked Edward, asked Sigmund, hey, why don't you come to America? I can get you uh, some huge publicity work. You could mm. do a, a speaking lecture tour. And I found American newspapers that will pay you $1,000 a column okay. by doing like a Dear Abby advice column. Yeah. Okay. Like, and he even gave a couple examples of like what the type of sure. title would be. Uh, Sigmund Freud turned him down. Uh, do you have any of the example titles? I don't have anything oh, in front of damn. me. Um, the same Freud year, and friends. <laughs> My friend Freud. No, it was more like uh, it was more stuff about uh, you know what should a wife do mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. this thing happens. So it was, when her yeah. husband is like deeply into his mom, what should a wife do? You know? Yeah. yeah. Right. Dress like the mom. It's easy. Whoa. It's easy. <laughs> Have you not uh, read Freud? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. A son should never talk back to his father. <laughs> um this is gonna this episode is gonna be very funny in yeah. three months. <laughs> We're sitting here right now. Uh-huh. You got a baby kicking you. Yeah. Yep. I was gonna say earlier and I didn't. Yeah. But it is really exciting to be on Promania five hundred shortly before it becomes Promania five hundred. And one. Oh, <laughs> oh man, yeah. Pro, the the fans uh, named the baby Pearl Baby. Yeah, even though even though I think of him as a little potato because mm. right now the show is pre potato. Yeah, mm. and then soon the show, season two will be post potato. Post potato. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> if he honestly, if he has your dad's head shape, he's gonna look a little potato. <laughs> Most babies. hear that, Mrs. P? Yeah. Yeah. Most yeah. babies look potato. Look like well, a potato. Potato. Yeah, but we'll see. But it depends on how how long it stays a yeah. potato. Well, form. if he has your hair, he's gonna be a sweet potato. Aww. Aww. Oh. What the fuck? He <laughs> better have my hair. It's really weird being caught off guard by your own voice. <laughs> yeah, it's gotta be. Uh-huh. Um, so after the same year that Bernays uh, did the uh, Sigmund Freud book sales, right. He also successfully hosted and promoted the first NAACP convention in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It was the first campaign uh, because there was no. They, it was considered successful because there was no violence. Oh okay. well. Uh, okay. The campaign focused on the important contributions of African Americans to whites living in the South, and it was also the Ooh. first NAACP uh, uh, conference that was held below the Mason Dixon line. Okay. Uh, Fleischman. Was a huge part of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, among her accomplishments, which is this is one of the few things that I could really find that was like pulled out. Yeah, about, like this hers. was of hers. That was specifically hers. Uh, internal client public relate uh, public. Blah, blah, blah. Among her accomplishments were an internal client publication contact, which explained the nature and value of public relations to the clients, and securing press coverage for the NAACP convention in Atlanta. This convention in particular was extremely important as the first ever below the Mason-Dixon line. At the conference, Fleischman experienced discrimination and threats of violence based on her gender, but continued to work to have Southern press agents cover the conference, a difficult feat at the time. Hmm. So yeah, so she was getting threatened, all these different things, and she just stuck with her guns. I mean, she's a Jewish woman in 1920 in wow. Atlanta promoting a black conference right. for equal rights. Right. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Dangerous. Yeah. And, you know, this is this is a very big deal. Um, after this, they move 
from you know doing that more of a nonprofit type of thing, you know, taking on these type of stuff, and they move more into corporate work, mm, the private sector. Okay, yeah. So yeah, you so get just, get your biz riz right. Yeah, <laughs> biz riz. Biz yeah. riz. Oh my god! Public relation for your business. I know, but I just no, no, no. We're my, calling it biz riz. My, biz riz. you made my knee hurt. Yeah, <laughs> that I just aged uh-huh. by years. Yeah. The I biz was really. Riz? We were talking about public relations this whole time. I was like, you got to find a good place to say riz, which is how my brain works. So. Yeah, uh-huh. I, uh, it's funny that you think it was your knee because what actually happened is your eyebrows just became incredibly poofy. <laughs> I got bushy eyebrows now. Yeah. I shaved those for a reason. Um. Uh, so one of Edwards mm-hmm. and the council's uh, first corporate uh, PR campaigns was for, Ven- uh, it's either, I think it's Venita or Venita hairnets. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, so in the 1920s, uh, the flapper was all the rage. Yeah. Do you guys sure. know what a flapper yes. is? Yes. With the short hair mm-hmm. and the short dresses. And the long necklace that they spin around. They spin and they dance like this. Oh, that's just that Star Wars Cantina theme. Yeah, you're mm. doing this, but you were. I was also, doing the hand uh, yeah. movements. Alex was moving his hands and back and forth in front of him. So the problem, the problem for a hairnut company, a oh, hairnut okay, company, company. Vanita Hairnets, big uh-huh. problems. Uh, the problem with flappers is they all have short hair. Yeah, they like the short hair. There's the whole thing. So you don't need a hairnet when you have oh. short hair. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's a problem for hairnets. Mm-hmm. Big so, hairnets, so shaking in their boots. So Vanita hired Bernays. And Bernays, and they're like, how are we going to sell more hairnets? And he looked around and he said, oh, I got an idea. Tell people that short hair is for boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's what he did. He advised a campaign against short hair. Mm. Oh, my God. Getting prominent women to speak out about how they loved having long hair and how it made them feel more feminine. He also influenced articles <sighs> on the danger of unbound hair in factories and in food processing plants, mm-hmm. both from a safety and hygiene perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This led to local governments across the United States passing hairnet requirements for certain jobs. Uh, in the hairnet <laughs> in the, the hairnet campaign, we're already seeing the beginning of his techniques of shaping the idea of public consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just want to give Mrs. P, I want to give you a minute there. Mm. No, you know what I was thinking is my solution was to be like, if I'm trying to sell it to uh, gals with shorter hair, you make it something that you're sleeping in because a lot of times they had like oh, what are sure. called like finger waves and stuff. Sure. And so you'd use like curlers and clips to create that wave. Oh, see. And then you yeah. put the net on and you go to sleep. You're still selling the net. So, so okay. So you That's, could have worked with it, but instead. No, no, but see, you also would have had to tweak the net a little bit. Yeah. And, and the one thing you're going to see from almost every one mm-hmm. of these PR campaigns. Yeah, we're not making any changes. That's 100% it. Every we time these companies. Four warehouses full of these, these fucking nets, dude. We need every to time also, one of these companies. Okay, if, hear me out. And I know this is crazy, but like, if, if you are you losing one market, find a new market. What about all the long hair boys? I'm sitting here surrounded by long hair boys. There you go. Men at the time didn't have a lot of men didn't have long they hair. They should have started talking they about also, how cool long haired dudes are. Also, many, many men during this time no longer had beards. Beard nets. Damn. Right. I was and the reason go for beard nets. Well, and the reason why they didn't have long hair or beards at this point is because lice. of World War One. Right. Uh, gas masks. Actually, oh. probably also lice. That's yeah. probably that too. But it, um, but you know, yeah. But we have a lot you more. Could have just used it as like a fashion statement. Yeah. It's like, oh, flappers, 
wear the hairnet yeah, out. Yeah, they're cool. Yeah, but see, just no, no. wear it. They wanted to make sure, and that you're going to see this a lot, which is we don't want to change our product. We need to change the people. Right. Mm-hmm. And Edward is brought in to change people to match right, the products. Right. Got it. Repeatedly. Uh, in this, we'll see, we already see a lot of his classic techniques. Uh, a big one is third parties, mm-hmm. uh, which is not about influencing the populace. It's about influencing leaders inside of a populace. Okay. Quote, if you can influence the leaders, either with or without their conscious cooperation, you automatically influence the group which they sway. So he was already targeting influencers mm-hmm. all the way back yeah, then. Yeah, because it's like the Veronica Lake situation. You know what I'm talking about? No. I feel like it's Veronica Lake. Veronica know. Lake was a incredibly famous movie star. She had beautiful, beautiful hair with like a very specific wave pattern. And during the war... Um, women wanted to have this Veronica Lake hair. It was like to their shoulders. It covered one eye. It's like this very specific, beautiful hair. And the thing is, they started doing a whole uh, marketing against this hair because they were saying it was getting caught in the machines because women had gone back to the workforce while uh, the men were away in World War II. Yeah. And so what I'm picturing this is very that Veronica so, Lake so story. What you're talking about? But then, real quick, they're saying that they actually had the the big producers that owned all the actors back then they had Veronica Lake go out and do that. Yeah, because they're following his system. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah, right, yeah. Right. No, that's 100% what they're doing. Then the second one is the appeal to medical experts. Mm. Okay. So mm-hmm. when he had these medical experts write articles against hair, like about loose flowing hair mm-hmm. in food preparation mm-hmm. and in these different, like, you know, hair carries disease, all these different things. So he's peppering this in different publications and then he's making sure that Government people can see this and start to see that there's a swell for mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one, again, the scientific approach, he is looking at this and he's regularly testing and he's tracking the results of his messaging. So he's not just going on vibes. Mm-hmm. He's going on like, how is this? We're getting a 13% uptick here. The sales are higher here. We've noticed a swing here. He's keeping track of this. So then he can go back and say, hey, by hiring me, we've increased 27% yeah, right, right. here. And you've seen your uptick and your more name recognition for your brand specifically. Oh my God. Other people didn't do that. When you hired other guys before, they were just marketers or they were advertisers. They came in. You said, I need to sell more Vanita hairnets. And they go, well, how about this? I put a Vanita hairnet on a sexy girl. And we're going to put that in the in the New Yorker magazine. Here, right, meow. Right. It's going to be right next to all the subway stops. Look at that. We're definitely going to sell things. They're like, okay, how much is that? That's $10,000. And you hand them $10,000. You go, ha ha, sucker. And that's how they all talked back then. Right. Whereas Uh, this guy actually could tell you, you see, now you see how this indicator has gone up. That means your fans are listening. Yeah. He's like, ha ha, you're getting more upvotes there on the whatever Reddit was back then. Which is also why so many people now who do any kind of entertainment have to constantly be looking at stats and numbers when they are trying mm-hmm. to do anything online. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about this, my life? This is the okay. guy. Well, look, it's not just you. <laughs> every every <laughs> single entertainer who has to post stuff online yeah. ends up looking no, at graphs. And again, yeah. it's, it's uh, but this is, no, before this time, mm-hmm. people weren't really doing that. Right. You're starting to get this somewhat, but he's being, he's so successful with some of these early campaigns. And direct. People start to to copy it more. Uh, his next big uh, uh, one is with Procter and Gamble. Oh, okay. For Shit. Ivory soap. Oh. Okay. Okay. Let's guess how he's going to market. This. Okay. Go ahead. Ivory soap. Okay. So I'm going to say ivory soap is very white. Yes. It's the white soap. Pure. 
pure pureness and whiteness uh-huh. so i'm already deeply concerned well i do know so here's what i uh know about ivory soap now and i know that it is just marketing and propaganda yeah is it that it floats no it is mm. that it is uh there's no like additives there's no like uh scents and stuff like that like it's like ba- your basic soap yeah so like irritated skin sensitive skin like yeah these are what i remember from what's ivory that? soap what's that is it that it floats you're both right on everything. Yeah, oh, yeah, let's go. We've been advertised to since we were born. Yeah, no, legit. <laughs> yeah, oh. <laughs> ivory ivory soap bars are white, unscented soaps. Edwards Bernays sent out a survey through a medical consultant to hospitals across America, asking, "Do they prefer white, unscented soaps like ivory soap, or?" Do they prefer colored scented soaps like every other major competitor? Because most other soaps at the time had a color dye to them, so they'd stick out in the marketplace, Mm -hmm. and a specific scent because people wanted to smell like a scent, not just like nothing. Um, Obviously, the hospitals come back widely supportive in Ivory's favor. This is that 9 out of 10 dentists use Crest. This is that idea. But it's literally by saying, do you prefer white? unscented soap like ivory or washing your hands in a pile of shit like it's like yeah like i mean obviously that's exaggerated but they're just saying like yeah the way you word those questions yeah the way you word those questions is just gonna really change the answers yeah the um the big part with this one is that he takes the survey results Mm -hmm. and he disseminates them to reporters who publish them on their own okay like hey isn't this interesting most hospitals really like using soaps like ivory soap. So it gets past people's advertisement filters. filters. Oh, wow. So it's not just a 9 out of 10. It's not a hashtag ad. Yep. He's using reporters as influencers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bernays also had uh, Procter & Gamble establish ivory soap sculpturing contests. Okay. Which I think I did as a kid uh, to this day. That does sound familiar to me as well. Uh, Yeah, where you get a bar of ivory soap because it's uh-huh. very easy to whittle. Yeah. And you would whittle a little soap soap sculpture and it was for millions of children to participate in and they would actually have true artists and reporters like judge them and mm-hmm. there were actual prizes. Um, and this became, this again made kids think when I think soap, I think of a white bar of soap. Right, right. The only one that's white like this is ivory. It has mm-hmm. a specific smell. Ivory's giving away. Remember, the soap's like five cents, so they're giving yeah. away the bars of soap so you can enter the contest. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All these different things. And lastly, to promote that it floats. I was right. Yeah. Ivory also sponsored a soap boat race in a Central Park pond. A soap boat? Yep. So you would make a boat and with a little sail in it uh-huh. out of the soap. And then you'd blow it or whatever to try to get it across the other but side of the, the pond. But then the soap is going to get into the, the pond. Nobody gives a fuck about that. It floats. What about the, the animals and the fish and the ducks and stuff? This is 1924. <sighs> this is 1924. Yeah. Nobody fucking gives a shit about uh, them ducks. Right. Also, they probably had oil and stuff on them from it, the like... Yeah, uh, honestly, yeah. it's probably better whatnot, so for like, what was going on. Industrial Just revolution sewage stuff in there. still on them. Yeah. 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 So those are two major ones for him um, early and on. And now we just use soap in our current day... Um, as a sidebar for TikToks where people slice soap in a little cubes. So yeah. You can keep your attention. You got to scrape them. Oh, yeah. You got to scrape them. You got to cut it in little cubes and then scrape it. It's the only way I can watch a video. Yeah. Mm. 
Um, and so in 1924, Edward entered into the political arena. Oh, good. Uh, setting up a vaudeville pancake breakfast for Calvin Coolidge, uh, the president uh-huh. at the time. Uh, this was a big deal. Uh, because Calvin Coolidge was famously like a very dour man. Okay. Like, <laughs> like that's the best way to describe him. Sure. He was just a bit of a grump. He liked his cat. Okay. He was famous for, you'd always see this, I think it was a Persian cat. Okay. He would always be holding a Persian cat. He had like one of those weird, like, not straw hats, but like those 1920s, like, type yeah. of straw hats. Uh-huh. And he just never smiled. Um, just, and, you were, and they looked at him and were like, pancakes. We gotta get this guy in front of pancakes. No, that was the whole thing. It was. It wasn't just pancakes. It was also that he was with the most famous vaudeville entertainers. Right. Yeah. At the White House, having a pancake breakfast. Right. So uh, entertainers included uh, Al Jolson, Raymond Hitchcock, and the Dolly Sisters, and they all performed on the White House lawn. Uh, the event was widely reported by all American newspapers, and the New York Times ran the headline: "Quote, President nearly laughs." <laughs> the, I- it's, the, the like picturing uh-huh. it is so funny because I just picture this man standing on the White House lawn, like old timey man, in a suit. holding a cat, in a suit, petting his cat, and in a buzz, straw hat, in a straw hat, and just vaudeville performers on unicycles with horses and ladies. Go, go ahead and pull up Calvin Coolidge. You Hold should. on, yeah, but like just like circling around him, having the best time while everybody's watching, eating pancakes, uh-huh. just having the best, and like. Like Eeyore hanging out with Winnie right. Pooh and them. Just like, well, it seems like it's a nice day for good weather. Uh-huh. And he's like, he almost smiled. The idea of a man in a straw hat being this is a this sad, is Calvin Coolidge. like being, being yeah. a guy that is dour yeah. is so funny this day and age. Yeah. Because like, if you wear a straw hat now... You're kind of a weirdo. Like, yeah. what are you doing? Like, okay, don't get me wrong on the beach. But as the president, like, imagine if a president now was known for wearing a straw hat. I just like, picture the hat from, um, oh. No, it's like those, it's, it's, and it's not a straw, like a farmer's hat. It's like a fedora, but made of straw or like a Panama Yeah, 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 hat. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's just kind of like, that was one of but the But he things. got him good press is what Did we're hearing. Did this become like the correspondence dinner? No, very no, similar no. sound. But this was, this is considered one of the first major, um, like, promotional events for uh-huh. a presidential campaign this like like doing something like this specifically to pop a rating right yeah like this wasn't really done uh-huh. like this were they making fun of him kind of okay but also like calvin coolidge is letting them make fun yeah of yeah him. yeah so by doing that it's adding another right it's adding it's another like, level like a Nixon president that knows how to take whatever, a joke like, yeah um in uh okay, so now we're gonna get into 1927, uh-huh. um, and now this is where this is his most famous thing, okay, and what that is. Oh, why did that? What not are you do doing? That thing? I was just trying. Can to you focus up. on your job? Your go. job is to read us the things. All right, all right, there we go. Oh my god! All right, I don't know why that's not wanting to tighten itself. It's being weird. In 1927. Uh, Bernays did a campaign for Chesterfield cigarettes. Okay. Okay. All right. I know what those um, look like. And uh, see, the thing is, is the the Chesterfield cigarette campaign was so good mm-hmm. that it uh, made their competitor Lucky Strike uh, feel really fucking bad. Yeah. Uh huh. Like total shit. Okay. And made them 
like a laughing stock. Okay. Because they took a Chesterfield slogan and like turned it on its head mm-hmm. and then like mocked them with it. And uh Lucky Strike's parent company like looked at this and said, All right, who the fuck did that? Yeah. Hire him now. Yeah. Get and him they the books. did. Okay. So the American Tobacco Company immediately hired Edward uh, Bernays in 1928. That same year, there was a new campaign that was being launched by the president of the American Tobacco Company, George Hill. George looked around at the market and realized that they were missing out. Yeah, they could way more people could be smoking. Kids, Children. babies, women. Women, women should have seen it. Oh, yep. oh wait, so is the Women market- didn't smoke cigarettes back then. Uh, let me guess. Stress relief, weight loss. We're getting there. Um, uh-huh. Women weren't smoking at a at like a huge rate. Like it was an incredibly low rate. Sure. Uh, comparatively, and uh, George said, "Quote: It will be like opening a gold mine right in our front yard." His first step after bringing in Bernays was to persuade women. Edward was to persuade women to smoke cigarettes instead of eating. In mm. nailed it. Yep. Nailed it. Yep. Bernays began by promoting the ideal of thinness itself. Perfect. Using photographers, artists, newspapers, and magazines to promote the special beauty of thin women. Mm-hmm. Medical authorities were found to promote the choice of cigarettes over sweets, and homemakers were cautioned that keeping cigarettes on hand was a social necessity. Mm-hmm. So if someone enters your house, you say, oh, I could really go for a cigarette. You're rude to not have one. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. So and just then by you just having have them, them in the house when the propaganda hits. Yes. Yeah. Um, Edward Bernays also decided to attempt to eliminate a social taboo against women smoking in public. Uh, so he talked to a psychoanalyst, and um, he's and and the psychoanalyst was like, "Yeah, well, women smoke because they have an oral fixation. You know, Got it's all it. sexual, Freud. and these are tiny back. penises." Mm-hmm. Um, sure. but because of that, um, that's being suppressed because of a lack of feminism because women, when they do smoke, they only smoke at home. They won't smoke in public. Mm-hmm. Sure. So that's keeping our numbers down Yeah. because they don't want people to see them smoking and then imagine them sucking a dick. Oh, okay. A small dick. Yep. Um, so they started to work on how to get women unsuppressed. Um, quote, today, the emancipation of women has suppressed many of their feminine desires. More women now do the same work as men do. Many women bear no children. Those who do bear have fewer children. Feminine traits are masks, are masked. Cigarettes, which are equated with men, become torches of freedom. Okay. And that begins the torches of freedom campaign. In 1929... Bernays decided to pay women to smoke their torches of freedom as they walked in the Easter Sunday parade in New York. As they walked in a parade? So basically, in the Easter parade, the Easter parade back then was, like today we think of the Macy's parade. The Easter parade was actually like this, the equivalent on the other side. And it was a big event. And not only that, it's a holy event. It's a little bit more. It's less commercialized. It's Easter. And Edward had them uh, stationed along the parade route. And what he did was make sure that people saw these women who were not, they were good looking. And, and quote, while they should be good looking, they should not look too model mm. 
And so he handpicked Girl these next women. Door. Girl next door. Yeah. He handpicked these women. He hired his own photographers and to make sure that good pictures were taken. And then he published them around the world. And it was showing these women who were young, who were, yeah, girl next door, attractive, normal looking women. Right. Mm-hmm. Didn't look like they had been paid to do this. Who were just happened to be walking right. around, happened to be smoking mm-hmm. during the event of the season mm-hmm. that for common people. Mm-hmm. This isn't a gala. This isn't a fucking big deal. This is... This is this is for everybody. Mm-hmm. And look, these groups of women. So he had these pub- published, and then uh, a feminist named Ruth Hale uh, mm-hmm. also called for more women to join in the march, saying, "Women, light another torch of freedom, fight another sex taboo." Oh my god, I am so like my brain right now is okay because I'm thinking of his wife, known yes. feminist, Fleischman, right, right, and like knowing how things work right like she's probably like all right i got an angle yeah feminism and his angle is probably like well let's tell him to be thin and she's like okay we can do yours sure 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 we can do the thin thing but also it's weird what if i get my uh-huh. friend ruth involved it's like she like she got him in a way yeah right she was like okay i think you could really do it with feminism yeah and he's like really you th- you think and she, yeah. she's like oh yeah 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 uh, sure push that feminism and then like you'll sell those cigarettes yeah. just really make sure you push, you really push the push feminism very, we're empowering them we want to empower right. women and then but at the same time they're still being like but also we need you to be as thin as possible right right so that you look frail and weak compared to men girl power Oh, it's incredible. Girl Just, power. And it's still affecting us um, hundreds of so years funny, later. So funny story. Doris mm. Fleischman, uh, avid chain smoker. Okay. And, uh, yeah, perfect. Edward hated it. And he begged her entire life for her to quit. <laughs> <laughs> Just the look on your face right there was priceless. That was a priceless look. But yeah, okay. desperately wanted her to quit his entire life. Was I like, please com- stop smoking. I have a completely different view of what happened now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she he was like, oh, you're smoke. not going to quit, huh? Oh, because... I can't tell you. It's feminist to smoke, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll show you. Oh, yeah. Um, once How foot- long have you been without a cigarette? Uh, Just I, as we're doing this? Like, uh, I'm near day 150. Okay. Yeah. Like I'm around there. Um, once the footage was released, uh, the women's walk was seen as a protest for equality and sparked discussion about smoking and feminism across the nation. Sparked. Uh, nice. The targeting of nice. women in tobacco advertising was added in at the same time, and this led to higher rates of smoking among women. In 1923, uh, women only purchased 5% of the cigarettes sold. Mm -hmm. Uh, In 1929, that jumped from 5% to 12%. And in 1935, that jumped to 18.1%. And it finally peaked at its top in 1965 at 33.3% where it leveled off which, again, is 1965. You're getting right near the uh-huh. height of the feminist movement. Um, and it remained at that level until the mid-70s, wow. uh, which only around the mid-70s do you really start to get the anti-smoking movement coming through. Right, right, right. Because we started to see the correlation of what the long-term damage was. We'll get into that. Okay. okay. Um, in 19- every time he says that and points like that, I know it's not good. Yeah. In 1928, uh, Edward Bernays... The Great Depression happens... Almost. Uh, Edward Bernays publishes his book, Propaganda. Okay. 
Yep. He sells the ideas. He, he just, yeah, well, he's just, he loves publishing books. He loves writing about what he's doing. Mm. He, one thing that he does repeatedly, like during the, this whole smoking thing, he makes sure that nobody knows directly that he's involved. Yeah. Okay. So when he's hiring the photographers, when he's talking to newspapers, he's doing this through people. Yeah. Because he doesn't want them to know at that time it's him. Yeah. But then like years later, he's like, that's what I did, fellas. Right. Remember how all your wives smoked now? That was me. Well, to some extent, I feel like it's like um, like the placebo, where if you know that the propaganda guy is involved, you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. So as long as you think there's but I a... I think that's what's making me feel so strange about him writing a book about propaganda. But it's after the fact. I know. Well, because, it's because, so funny. But also to remind It's you... like OJ's book. Oh, like, if I, I would have oh done... If I did it, No, no propaganda how... came out as he was doing it. Um, That's crazy. Because, well, this book wasn't marketed, though, towards common people who would read it. This book was being marketed at educated professionals. So that way, and and, and people in colleges, professors, and people in the business world, so they would know to fucking hire him. Right. Okay, so the book itself, his book about propaganda is propaganda about hiring him to make propaganda for you. Right. And at the same time, like, think about it like a a guy who gets really into crypto. Oh, no. Yeah. The guy gets really into crypto and maybe he's making a lot of money, but he also wants everyone else to know he's making a lot of money. Where he talks about crypto all the time. But he also has to get other people into crypto. So he starts a podcast to talk about crypto. Exactly. Um, So this quote, it's long, but I find it uh, very interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to read you the full quote. Uh, Again, it's long. Uh, The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in a democratic society. Yep. Okay. You both yawned at the I'm same sorry. time. I don't. I I, was, well, I closed my eyes to actually listen to the thing. Yeah. <laughs> that was maybe a little bit of a mistake because it was a lot longer. That's the first yeah. sentence. There's so many oh, more sorry. sentences. Can we, can oh, we start, please start over. Okay. The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed. Our minds are molded. Our tastes form. Our ideas suggested largely by men we have never heard of. This is a logical result of the way which which our democratic society is organized. Vast numbers of human beings must cooperate in this manner if they are to live together as a smoothly functioning society. In almost every act of our daily lives, whether in the sphere of politics or business, in our social conduct or our ethical thinking, we are dominated by the relatively small number of persons who understand the mental processes and social patterns of the masses. It is they who pull the wires which control the public mind. Hmm. Yeah, okay. He basically was like, bitch, there's algorithms out there, and if you ain't running the algorithm, you're getting run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he recognized that early on. He also in some in both this work and other works, he talks a lot about how it's not a matter of making you making the the masses and the individual worry about the gray. He wants you just to rubber stamp things. Mm-hmm. Do you like war? Yes, no. Yeah. Do right. you like using uh, chemical weapons in war? Yes, right. no. Right. Do you like, he doesn't want you to think, and this is how you manipulate a crowd, you get them to just rubber stamping certain things so they're not actually processing it from 
the pers- from a perspective that you aren't already controlling. Right, and you mm. get them into a rhythm of rubber stamping things you're saying, and then yes, no, good two or no, three good of the questions good. become like you wouldn't, you would have thought about it a little more, but you didn't because of the rhythm. Yeah, yeah. It's the old when did you stop beating your wife? Yeah, it's that kind of general mm-hmm. trap type of question deal. Uh, yesterday, Whoa. in 1929. <laughs> 1929, uh, Bernays was involved in promoting Light's Golden Jubilee. Light? Lights. Light. Yep. Uh, this was the 50th anniversary of Thomas Edison's invention of the light bulb. Oh, okay. okay. Well, yep. when he allegedly invented the light bulb. Uh, yeah, no, it was actually invented by Joseph Swan at the same exact time. Uh, the allegedly. publicity. Uh, okay. <laughs> allegedly. I just said it. I, I know. Why it, we... didn't have the, it didn't have the guitar. <laughs> That's fair. Um, the publicity elements that he used in this uh, I- included uh, special issuances of U.S. postage stamps okay. showing okay. Edison creating the light bulb, the light bulb itself, and other things. Like, that yeah. wasn't as big. Like, they were there, but, like, this was an addition I am on obsessed it. with the fact that the stamp propaganda. Yeah. Because it's something I've always noticed. I love a Christmas stamp. Yeah. yeah. I pick it every year. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see what my Christmas stamp's going to be uh-huh. this year. And... I always like, so I start looking and there's always like these weird stamps yes. that are stamp propaganda. Yeah. Like clearly like there, somebody's paid for this. The yeah. government's taking some type of money for this. But there has been Nancy Reagan stamps for sale on the United States Postal Service website for like two years. Like nobody's offloading these Nancy Reagan stamps. Yeah. And I, every time I see them online, I laugh a little at that fucking bitch her that her stamps won't sell. Uh-huh. And I spit on her. Oh, I forgot to mention, by the way, the, uh, that the, I hate Nancy actually, Reagan. They're probably self-adhesive. You don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> no, if there's no one thing Nancy Reagan knows how to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> the other part of the Jubilee, the gold, the Light's Golden Jubilee, was uh, that Bernays had Edison himself recreate himself creating the light bulb okay. uh, for a nationwide radio audience. So they did like a fake radio play that people could listen to. But, and then I added this gas and okay. put the filament in and it lit and oh, look at that. Look at it burn. That type of shit. Yeah. Um, they then, uh, this also, they did another version of this uh, years later. Uh, when they reached the 100th anniversary of it. In fact, we're actually coming up with the 150th anniversary of this in 2029. Okay. Uh, nobody gives a shit. No, because we all know that he kind of stole that whole thing. Yeah, but also, like, what's weird as I'm going through this is we there's... don't use there's, stamps. There's also a lot of things that... <laughs> we have email now. Yeah. I like to send Christmas cards. Yeah, yeah. I have these Nancy Reagan stamps that have nothing <laughs> I'm trying to, to offload these. Yeah. I just keep getting them stuck to my dick. Oh. Um, but the... Uh, there's all these different things like George Washington's, uh, the anniversary of George Washington's inauguration, like during sure. this, like the 150th anniversary, sure. like that's tied in. There's certain things that we used to be like, oh, that was just so-and-so years ago. And now like for us, I feel like once it gets over like 100, 150 years, we're like, fuck it. Yeah. Okay. Well, you need to be at a round number. It's I like think if so, you're, but if it, you're, if you're, once you're beyond 200. Yeah. It needs to get to 300 because I do not care. About 250? Okay, 25 years. Everyone's like, oh my God, it's been 25 years since Saved by the Bell? And like 50 years. Oh my God, 50 years. 100 years. 150, okay. 200, wow. 250, like, all right, get get out of here. I feel like at 250, nobody cares about Saved by the Bell anymore. That's so true. Yeah. Screech has been dead. You know that? I know. Yeah, well, I, I forget. Was, I just remembered now. He was. I wonder how Lisa worst, Turtle's though. doing. No, Lisa Turtle was the worst. She you went like crazy. Lisa no. She did. No, no, no she like went, like post. She went like she nuts. went crazy. 
uh, Dustin Diamond is. Well, he was a monster. Was a monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was at the end. All right. Uh, Zach Morris I don't know seems are... okay. I think. I yeah. don't know. The, not the character. No, the guy that plays Mark Zach Morris. Something or other. He seems cool. I wanted to say Ruffalo, and I know that's all right. definitely I, not Mark Ruffalo. I, you know what's funny? I think out of everything that we recorded in the can, mm-hmm. this conversation right here is going to get the most interaction in all the comment sections <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. from people being like, "No, listen, um, the Zach Morris guy. Yeah. No, 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 no. Let no, me yeah. tell you about his politics. Right. And oh, like, oh no. no. I, oh. I feel like there's an anti-vax in there. Oh, yeah. There probably right. is. Right. Probably. Yeah. yeah. I think right. uh, Dawson went crazy too. Yeah, well, I mean, you see the size of that guy's head? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, real quick, I forgot to mention that book um, from 1928, Propaganda. Uh, Joseph Goebbels was a huge fan of that book. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Huge fan. Great. Let me do some finger guns at y'all. He's finger gunning us. Big fan. This is why I didn't hit the button. Yeah. Okay? Because the thing is, is every time he writes a book, like explaining what he's doing, Joseph Goebbels is like, love it. Love it. Oh, my God. Oh, that's so good. Big uh-huh. fan. Wow. Oh, it's so true. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It was like a, vamp- it was a, very, it was a vampire, vampire accent. accent. Yeah, that's all right. Um, so, yeah, so the Nazis are taking notes. And they're uh-huh. like, ah, man, this Jew's got it. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Oh I forgot he was Jewish. He's he's Sigmund oh, Freud's oh, nephew. Oh, no. Um, uh, meanwhile, uh, 1932... Herbert Hoover hires Bernays okay. mm-hmm. uh, to help him try to defeat FDR in 1932 okay. in the presidential election. Uh, Bernays gives him advice, but like, fucking, you can only do so much with PR. Like, yes. there's a certain, right, right. Um, the well was already poisoned. Yeah, yeah. What, we've, what we've covered so far, like, he does other things that aren't as uh, widely remembered. He works with a lot of nonprofits and uh, societies and organizations to try to just like help people in general. Um, The Committee on Public Methods and Social Work, the Jewish Mental Health Society, uh, Book Publishers Research Institute, the New York Infirmary Infirmary for Women and Children, and the Committee for Consumer Legislation are just some of the organizations he works with uh, from the mid-1920s through 1934. Mm -hmm. Uh, In 1934, Lucky Strike came back to Bernays. Okay. They had an issue. Oh, all right. Women were smoking. Great. Great. But they weren't smoking Lucky Strikes now. Oh, Oh, they they wanted something more feminine. No. See, the problem is, is that uh, Lucky Strikes packagings, uh, they had ugly boxes. Yeah. They were green. They were like a hunter forest green. Gross. Okay. Um, And uh, And they weren't even menthol? No. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus. It's such inside baseball. But yeah. (laughs) No, I know. They weren't menthol. Um, but even worse is that green was considered an ugly color and actually didn't match women's fashion at the time. Yeah. Oh. And the aesthetics were wrong. Yeah, they had the wrong aesthetics. And so they brought uh, in Bernays. lights. No, they brought in Bernays <laughs> and they said, Bernays, uh, we just spent a million dollars changing all of our branding to this. This is our color. And he's like, well, why don't you just pay a million dollars? And he's like, we're not going to. He's like, okay, well, um, I guess... Since your brand doesn't match women's fashion, I'll just change women's fashion. Okay. Uh huh. And so again, the the color green wasn't popular. What were they wearing? It just wasn't that. It just didn't fit in the actual sure. tones Back then, at the time. Uh, like uh, pastel blues and stuff. Yeah, but what? Not green specifically. Not green. Um. So Bernays set back, and he was like, "I'm going to make hunter forest green pop." And so he, well, the centerpiece of his big effort was a thing called the Green Ball. Uh, a social event again at the Waldorf Astoria. Sure, uh, and it was hosted by like a very high up lady, 
um, you know, a lot of society women are there. A Wait, lot of actresses. I just want to pause real quick. I just because I'm like thinking about Hunter Green and how Hunter because it's Hunter Green you said right? Uh, Forest Green. Forest Green. I'm I'm thinking about how Forest Green in my mind what that color means because like when I think of Hunter Green, it's very like British royal. It's the queen in galoshes. It's uh the uh where's where was she, where did she stay in Scotland? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's like yeah. it's very that like hunter green is that, and then like a forest green, uh, is very like interior design to me. It's very the mm-hmm. walls are hunter green. I mean the the forest green like the curtains and like that's an aesthetic that is very significant of wealth. Okay, well to do. So I feel it, like it speaks to me of uh. Like probably at that time, cleaning products and stuff though, mm. like because it looks like a pine pine salt. Like I don't know. So what you're talking about with, with wealth? Yeah. Uh, this is what makes yep. you think wealth. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I was saying the same way that like looking at ivory soap and how yeah, um, his name was Dusk and I can both go into like the idea of like we know what we were told about ivory right. soap from mm. propaganda, and like I have inherent and probably because. I, as a woman, certain things are marketed to me in a certain way, especially colors and fashion and interior design. So I'm like, okay, when I think of forest green, what was I told about it through media, through socialization? Is that it's a color of wealthy people. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, it's true. What he did with this is is he did that association heavily. Mm -hmm. Um, He, again, through agents, he reached out to famous society women he set up this green ball. He explained to all of them, and they made sure that the the woman that he put in charge of the ball was told everyone that the only color they could wear is green. Mm-hmm. So everything had to be green. And then he had newspapers write about green. He had more stores sell things that were green. He made that the fashion, and it was the season of green. Manufacturers and retailers of clothing and accessories were advised that the excitement was growing for the color. Mm -hmm. Intellectuals were enlisted to give highbrow talks on the theme of green. Before the ball had even taken place, newspapers and magazines— uh, that had been encouraged by his office, had latched onto the idea that green was all the rage. And by the time this ball was over, not only had women's fashion accepted this color green, but green in general more mm-hmm. regularly, that Lucky Strikes no longer clashed with women's clothing. Yeah, it matched. Yeah. Right. And so then like, what that looks like today would be um, an I- Instagram aesthetic overview picture of like a lipstick... A pair of sunglasses and and like something else where it has all that like aesthetic beigey millennial pink vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you would have the pack of Lucky Strikes there right, that is green because right. everything else is going to be green. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's that same idea of like it's the aesthetic, it's the whole thing. It's my purse matches my gloves matches my Lucky Strikes matches my shoes. Yep. Um, the next one now. This next one is is around while all of this is kind of happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, this next one is one that my entire family fell for. Oh, a marketing campaign. Oh, um, and it's it just happened during the '30s. Uh, it was for Dixie cups. Okay, you know Dixie cups. I do. Okay, the little, the little I, cups. whatever happened to them? Um, so in the 1930s, they weren't selling well. They're little paper cups. Yeah. Uh, my grandmother used to have them in the bathroom. I was gonna say sometimes people have them in the bathroom. Yeah, specifically in the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because they are sanitary. Ah. Uh, because before that, people just had a cup. Yeah. Why would you, Why would I throw out my cup every time I want to use it? Right. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Wasteful. Yeah. No. Uh, Brene's, uh, 
drill. Like I bought Dixie cups until I was in like my early twenties. Really? Yeah, until I had like roommates who were like, "Why did you still I buy those?" I think I remember being like, "Why? Do, why are there Dixie cups in the yeah. bathroom?" Like, uh, and it was I just, feel like I remember that. And it was, I it was either you or somebody else uh-huh. in my life who was like, hey, "You don't need those, you know. Yeah. Like you can just use your hand." I don't think for you water. still had them when we were roommates, but yeah. like you were like, "Oh, for brushing my teeth," and I was like, "Yeah, for you the water." Could just like literally lean down and yeah, no, it Dixie cups. <laughs> A lot of people, you know, did have a glass. That they, some people uh-huh. would have a good glass. They like, hey, they'd wash it after each one, you know, just mm-hmm. like rinsing the water out, or hey, I'll change it every week, or whatever it is. Dixie cl- cups hired Bernays, and Bernays convinced consumers that only disposable cups were sanitary. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he did that by linking imageries of overflowing regular cups, mm-hmm. glasses, and mugs. With subliminal imagery of vaginas and venereal diseases. Wait, what? Oh my god! So that way, when you would look at a cup overflowing, you would think of like a, like a like a discharge. Ooh, okay. Oh and it god. was linked together. And he used again the work of his uncle Sigmund Freud, along with other analysts, and he put together the imagery in a way that when you you would sit there, you wouldn't think about it directly, but you began to have in your mind. Hey, well, you know, oh, I don't need Dixie cups. Oh, you know, what if I get, I, I get, I had a sore throat. And I, you know, uh-huh. to be, make sure I wasn't contaminating anybody, I used Dixie cups, then it went away. Yeah. So it was slowly that idea of like, right. by having these disposable cups. I mean, it's the same thing when you go to the dentist, right? Like you're given a disposable cup. Like they could have just tiny glass or plastic cups yeah. that they throw through a washer. Right. Like we could easily do that. We do that at restaurants. Yeah. Right. Why can't you do that at a dentist's office? Right. That same general idea. This is what made Dixie. He created a problem. You know the for in, Dixie Cup to answer. The interesting thing about this for me right now is in the research that I did for the Salvador Dali episode. Yeah, there was a lot about him talking about marketing and talking about subliminal marketing. Uh, because he started doing some yeah. advertising stuff, and he was really influenced by um, Freud. Freud as well. Yeah. So like. It's interesting the the links with those things. Yeah, like, and uh, well, well, actually, in 1938, Sigmund Freud finally flees Austria uh-huh. um, because Austria was annexed by the Nazis and Germany sure. on March 13th of 1938. Uh, an international team of scholars, diplomats, and and just general fans and patrons uh, helped Freud escape. Uh, he Sigmund Freud escaped to London in June 6th of 1938. When he was in London, he was met by Salvador Dali right. and a bunch of other people who were there who were all big fans of his. Um, Sigmund Freud died of jaw cancer in September of 1939 in London, um, and his four elderly sisters all died in the Holocaust. Oh, my oh, God. Jeez. Um, yep. At the same time, by jaw the way— cancer from— From smoking. Cigarettes? Yeah. No, uh, cigars. Yeah. Uh, the other thing to remember, too, is uh, Freud's books were being burned by the Nazis yeah. while the Nazis were using Bernays's books that were based on Freud's work. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So Ugh. it's like this weird cycle that is insane. It's um, also weird that he died from cigars because didn't he have that whole that whole like that's a, it's, it's, it's sometimes a, a cigar is just a cigar or whatever. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, Edward Bernays was the was the PR director for the 1939-1940 New York World's Fair. Okay. Um, now it's always kind of bugged me cause I was looked a little bit more into it cause like world's fairs were big deals yeah. and then they just stopped. They just stopped. Now yeah. they still actually happen. They are. Can we go to one? I want to go. Yeah. So they're, they're not called world's world's fairs are an American term. 
internationally they're just called expos. Okay. Oh yeah. So they don't, don't do them to that. the extent that we used to because also especially here in America. I went to a cat expo. Well, I was with you. <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was so sad. It was the saddest expo Not like I've ever a been to. Contest? No, it was a, a, a people cat being expo. Like, Look at my cat. No, it was like they were like um, There's judges. There was like the the oh. fancy cats, you know, those kind. Sure. Um, but it was at like the Greater Oaks Convention Center, and it was so. And it was weird. next. Here's the thing. You mean tuxedo cats? Yeah. No, hold on. They, we were in the small side, right? The small part of the convention mm-hmm. center, and there's a cat convention next door. Was the gun show? Okay. <laughs> so you have all these grandmas and cat ladies like carrying their cats with little cat ears on their head and like yeah. being weird They're and like oh excited about cats and then men carrying more guns than they have arms right. to carry. Yeah. I do really love the idea that there is at least one person that was like, ah, damn it, the gun show and the cat expo are the same day. They're in the I, same building. How do I choose? They're in the same I building. I, know. I get to go. Yeah. Yeah, sir. The parking uh, lot was fucking insane. It was so crazy because the parking. Sir, that no was cats. full of uh, like little hatchbacks and sedans, and then the biggest trucks you've ever seen. Yeah. And as I was Cat standing outside with Alex, who was probably still smoking at the time, I was. I was like thinking, I was like, "There's something here about pussies and dudes with small dicks." Uh-huh. And there's a joke that lives here out right. out front with uh, this cigarette Alex is yeah. having. Yeah, yeah. I was getting a lot of. Lo- I was standing out front smoking. I was standing because they gave you cat ears. When yeah. you came in. Amazing. Like on a headband. Yeah. So like I had them on. Yeah, they had a QR and then code like, in the ears. And I was standing outside smoking wearing cat ears. And like dudes carrying AR-15s were like, look at this pussy. And I was like, yeah, I I'm it. literally a cat. I, I get it. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And you were um, like, meow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, I had a coworker who was like, when he heard about it, he's like, I want to go. And so he met us there with his girlfriend. Yeah. Nice. And then like within 20 minutes, I'm like, his face is red. I'm like, what's the matter? He's like, oh, I'm allergic to cats. <laughs> what are you <laughs> forgot about yeah that. i was like bro we gotta go he's gotta like no it's it. fine i'll take a benadryl i'm like then you're gonna fall asleep driving like, oh what's happening God. here all right anyway expos. Uh, oh, you said the world fair still happens and then we sidetracked from yeah. that side no, it, it happens it happens around the world it just hasn't really come back to the united states oh, and when they do they aren't done to the extent they used to be so the 1939 world's fair went fucking hard yeah um, it was the second most expensive uh, American World's Fair of all time. Okay. Uh, the St. Louis World's Fair, uh, w- which was to show off the Louisiana Purchase uh, Exposition of 1904. That one was more expensive. This one was the first World's Fair, though, to focus on cultural exchanges between nations and peoples over industrialization and science. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so hmm. many countries around the world... Um, uh, participated in this, uh, and over 44 million people attended the exhibits over the two seasons. So they had one season in 1939, one season in, the, in early 1940. Uh, it was the first exposition to be based on the future as well. And the okay. slogan was uh, Dawn of a New Day. Oh, okay. And it allowed the, all the visitors to take a look at the world of tomorrow. Right, right, right. Flying that, cars and such. Yeah, it was that, that kind of general idea. Um, Bernays called the fair uh, and the, the grounds in general the democracy. Oh. That was his big thing. It's democracy. And look at all of us, all of our nations and our cultures and all we're coming together and we're, we're exchanging ideas and peoples. And, and it was all about like peace. Uh, weirdly, 
difficult to do as the Nazis are crossing Europe mm, and mm-hmm. Japan sure. is at war, war with half the world. Yeah. Using your like, uncles and your, your books. Yeah. yeah, he didn't know. He, I don't think he quite knew at the time of like how his books directly sure. were influencing Joseph sure, Goebbels. Sure. But um, <laughs> Grover... <laughs> Damn. Dear Edward, I wrote you, but you still ain't calling. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't wonder, wonder why. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Grover Wallen uh, was a public relations innovator uh, who worked alongside Bernays uh, on the project. And Grover saw the fair as an opportunity for corporations to present consumer products rather mm-hmm. than just a general exercise in presenting science and the scientific way of thinking as its own. Oh, yep, great, I can see where this goes. Great. Albert Einstein and other scientists were a little disappointed at this change, but they went uh, alongside of it. Uh, Carl Sagan reported, quote, as events transpired, uh, as events transpired, almost no real science was tacked on to the fair's exhibits, despite the scientists' protests and their appeals to high principles. Uh, this began, this is when you started to see at the World's Fair things like the RCA provi- Pavilion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, RCA, mm-hmm. the yeah. right, right, radio right. company. Yeah. Um, RCA, this is when they did, uh, they wanted to show off televisions and to push the idea of televisions to the masses. And that was done in America in 1939 at the RCA Pavilion at the World's Fair. Uh, one way they did this was that they uh, put a Franklin D. Roosevelt speech uh, and they broadcast that not only over the radio networks, but they also televised it uh, along with other parts of the opening ceremony and other events that were happening at the fair. Uh, that day, the opening ceremony and Roosevelt's speech were seen on black and white television sets with 5 to 12-inch tubes. Uh, NBC used the event to inaugurate regularly scheduled television broadcasts in New York City over their station uh, that is now called WNBC. And an estimated 1,000 people viewed the Roosevelt telecast on at about 200 TV stations scattered throughout New York's metro area. And that was a—it's interesting because RCA doing the TV thing, like a TV does seem like a sciencey thing at some point. Yeah, but but they want they want selling make, it as yeah. opposed to like yeah. But also, you know what RCA is, right? It's the Radio Corporation of America. Yeah. And it's weird to think just that they that, put themselves out of their own yeah. job. Well, like that, that they, bo- they they borders it to Amazon. It's really hard to remember that TV was seen as an extension of radio, of radio yeah. at first. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of bizarre because it used to be broadcast like that, too. Yeah, yeah, it still is. Is it? Yeah, it's just a digital broadcast now that okay. you can still. I mean, we have a digital antenna here. We don't okay. have cable. Okay. Um, but I mean, yeah, we and we're out here in the burbs, I, where you live. Actually, you can get a digital antenna up on your roof, and it's free TV. Yeah. I get like eighty channels. I just watch everything online anyway. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That way, the advertisers know what you watch. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. They, I'm sure that they watch That's all the of my pirated part. stuff. Allegedly. Oh yeah. Allegedly. Thank you, me from the past. You can just say it. It's your voice. Don't use my words. The fair generated forty eight million dollars in revenue with its forty four to forty five million visitors, and but it cost sixty seven million dollars to put on. It was a it was considered a financial failure, but a marketing bonanza for all of the companies involved. Ford Pavilion, all these different ones. Also, uh, as the war really starts to kick up, um, you have different nations who sent stuff over uh, and their people over. As the fair ends, can't go home. Oh, 
and they can't because of the war. Right, right, because right. of the war, and then they also can't Stay. do anything okay. with the stuff. Mm-hmm. So they sell it off. Okay. So there's things like there's a statue of like a Polish king in like Central Park. That was because the New York World's Fair happened and the Polish people were like, I don't know what to do with this. We can't we're not taking it back we're not taking it back to Poland for the Nazis or the Russians to have it. Yeah. And then eventually Let's some guys bought it. In this park. No, no, no. What, did, what people did was they bought it and they gave the money to the Polish government in exile. Okay. Mm. Uh, so things like that happen repeatedly. Um, so World War II then kicks off. Uh, Bernays advises the Office of War Information as well as the Army and the Navy. Uh, he was the chairman of the National Advisory Committee of the Third U.S. War Loan. Um, he was, which was just, you know, war bonds and war loans, all that stuff. A co-chairman of the Victory Book campaign and part of the New York State Defense Council. Is Victory Book bonds? I think it is. I think it's similar. It's like when you go to Wendy's and you get the little booklet of coupons for yeah, Frosties coupon and Halloween. Book, yeah. I think it, I think it honestly Can might we be. go get one of those right now? We should. <laughs> um, also in the 1940s, Edward Bernays started working for the United Fruit Company. United Fruit Company. Today they're called Chiquita Brands I International. I was going to say it's got to be the bananas. So, so you're saying he was like, let me get out of the whole war thing. It's I got to get out so, of the war business. This is so like intense. I need to, let me just work on bananas. Yeah. That's fine. That's safe. Yeah. There's definitely not going to be any wars involved uh-huh. with bananas in Latin American countries. Of course. Yeah. Uh, he promoted U.S. banana sales, promoting health benefits of bananas, as well as strategically getting celebrities to be seen eating bananas. Uh, Bernays also argued the United Fruit uh, needed to put a positive spin on the banana-growing countries themselves. And for this purpose, he created a front group that was called Middle America Information Bureau. Right. So they used Middle, middle America instead of Latin America. Because right. he yeah. wanted to remind people, like, hey, this is still America. Yeah. Yeah, they're, maybe they speak Spanish in these things, but they're just like us. And he was like, it's okay to eat, like, 40 bananas a day. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly you 40. Should. And nothing else. Right. Yeah. Um, so the Middle America Information Bureau supplied information to journalists and academics. Uh-huh. Uh, this is very similar to today when you'll get local news reporters or handed a report that they then just just read directly without any edits yeah. or sure, any research sure. just to fill time. Um, the bureau was shut down in 1948. Uh, but Bernays again, stayed on to work on increasing coverage of the communist menace in Guatemala specifically. Okay. Okay. Wait a minute. Uh, yep. He was you, selling bananas. Yeah. You go for the bananas. You, and stay, then you stay for the communists. For the communism. So the okay. problem is like in Guatemala, right? Like, uh, like the United fruit company somehow was making more money than the whole country of, uh, Guatemala had. Yep. Hmm. Uh, because, and the people in Guatemala were like, yo, Hey, uh, it feels like all of our wealth is being shipped out of here. Yep. Right. Uh, that's 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 not great, United Fruit Company. Right. That's now Chiquita Brands International. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Bernays looked around and he recommended a campaign mm-hmm. uh, in which universities, lawyers, and the U.S. government would all condemn uh, expropriation as immoral and illegal, because that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to be like, hey, we want to nationalize this stuff. Uh, the company should use media pressure to, quote, to induce the president and the State Department to issue policy pronouncements comparable to the Monroe Doctrine concerning expropriation. So, again, don't touch our shit. Yeah. And we really should be pressuring both Truman, Harry Truman, and eventually Eisenhower. Yeah. To, uh, hey, 
We got to stop these commies down there. Was their plantain campaign. Oh, wow. In the following months, the New York Times, the New York Herald Tribune, Time Magazine, Uh Newsweek, and Atlantic Monthly all had published articles describing the threat of communism in Guatemala. A Bernays memo in July 1951 recommended that a wave of media attention should be translated into action by promoting the following. A, a change in present U.S. ambassadorial and consular representation. B, the imposition of congressional sanctions in this country against government aid to the pro-communist regimes. And C, U.S. government subsidizing of various research by disinterested groups like the Brookings Institution into various phases of the problems. So these are groups that don't really seem like they should be involved with bananas, like the Brookings Institute. It's not about the bananas. No, it's about the communism. It's about the communism trying to take the money away from the banana people. Yes, 100%. The Brookings Institute still exists today, and they're still bags of shit. so beyond just PR. <laughs> like, like, because uh, he goes down for propaganda, uh, like the uh, propaganda uh, thing, but it's like even just propaganda. It's like he's recommending actual like political action by a government as opposed to just well and again again remember uh-huh. remember this was they were like hey they want to keep like 10 percent uh-huh we're gonna lose 10 percent he was uh-huh. and he's like all right oh can't lose 10 percent so i guess we better kill everybody yeah. uh yeah uh per bernays's strategy united fruit distributed favorable articles and an anonymous report on guatemala to every member of congress and to national opinion molders. Mm -hmm. Again, influencers. Mm. Uh, They also published a weekly Guatemala newsletter and sent it to 250 journalists, again, who started to use this as a source for their reporting. Perfect. Don't check it. And it was anonymous? Uh, The Guatemala newspaper was, a newsletter was not. Okay. Uh, But the uh, report on Guatemala was. Okay. Uh, In June of 1954, the CIA affected a coup d'etat codenamed Operation PB Success. The CIA backed a minimal military force fronted by uh, Carlos Armas with psychological warfare campaign to portray the military defeat as a foregone conclusion. During the coup itself, Bernays was the primary supplier of information for the international newswires, Associated Press, United Press International, and international news sources. PB? PB success. Did it stand for anything? No, not as far as I think it's just... Because peanut butter and bananas is delicious. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Peanut butter and bananas. Yeah, it might be. They're great. Um, With little raisins on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Analog. The big peanut butter got involved. Yeah. yeah. It was like, we need to keep these bananas. This started off with him being like, people should be stop being so weird about syphilis. And yeah. then he's like, we got to fucking Oh, I know. I keep, I keep going back to that of like his first thing was like, people really keep. Stigma is bad. Being stig- stigmatized about things. Yeah. 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 And then he was like, I think I could weaponize that stigma. After. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I wonder if I could overthrow a government. Hmm. After after this was successful, <laughs> after Guatemala, the Guatemala coup and everything was successful, he then mm-hmm. did some light work where he compared, uh, did work, you know, like comparing like Christianity and communism and how they weren't uh-huh. the same. Right. Because oh, right. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is that like in the 1920s, especially a lot of Christians were leaning more towards communism makes, because it was more. Sense. Because Jesus was all like, we should share our wealth. Yeah, and, like, and he was like, no, other. that's not what it's about at all. Uh, and so he released a bunch of papers that were like, they they don't match. But in fact, this new dictator of Guatemala, he's the most Christian of them all because he's not a communist. That was his whole argument. Uh-huh. Mm. Uh, and it worked. 
Um, we were like, yay. Uh, during the Cold War, which, you know, is, is through the rest of time until like 1990s. Uh-huh. Uh, during the Cold War, uh, Bernays advised the United States Information Agency, which was a CIA-backed propaganda organization that was designed to fight communism around the world. Okay. Uh, through propaganda. Yeah. Um, and a former USA, USIA director of TV and film service, Alvin Snyder, recalled in his 1995 memoir that, quote, the U.S. government ran a full-service public relations organization, the largest in the world, about the size of the 20 biggest U.S. commercial PR firms combined. Its full-time professional staff of more than 10,000 spread out among some 150 countries, burnished America's image, and trashed the Soviet Union 2,500 hours a week with a Tower of Babel comprised of more than 70 languages to the tune of over $2 billion per year. Wow. And Edward Bernays was a consultant on that. And what what year was this where it was $2 billion a year? Uh, that was by, uh, well, it was abolished in 1999. Okay. So this was in the 90s. Okay. Uh, the USIA was abolished by Congress on uh, effective October 1st, 1999. Uh, but some parts of the overall agency's services remain. Yeah, such I was going to say, they abolished it on paper. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, Voice of America, Radio Free Europe, and Radio Free Asia networks uh, are still out there. Um, Except this is ninety nine. Yeah, is he older than a hundred? Uh, so Edward time? Edward formerly retired in the nineteen sixties. Okay, uh, he was pretty rich by that point. Uh, he and his wife Doris moved to Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, they did still like consulting work, and they also had the Edward Bernays uh, Foundation that they were working with at that point. Um, one of the pro bono pro bono works he worked started working on mm -hmm. was anti smoking campaigns in the Son late seventies. Late seventies, early eighties, he started feeling better. fighting his own problems. He started. Yeah, well, that's that's like, why women's smoking went down. It's guilt. That's why I said we'll get to it. It plateaued. And he was like, ah, I guess I'll get back to that. Oh well, it's like my guilt, god! Like he was like, ah, oh, god. Yeah, what have I done? Uh, Edward Bernays' most famous books uh, are, there's four of them, Crystallizing Public Opinion, which he wrote in 1923, Pop Propaganda, which he wrote in 1928, Public Relations, which he wrote in 1945, and the most famous one, uh, The Engineering of Consent in 1955. Oh, all right. Uh, oh. The Engineering of Consent is the one that you often hear most yelled at you by uh, hippies. Yeah. Who are like, they're just trying to engineer consent, man. It's like, yeah, that's what everybody does. Um, Doris Fleischman, uh, after they retired, she finally took Bernays's name as a hyphen. Oh. Uh, <laughs> wow. She was like, when I'm done working, when I'm done getting this bag for oh, our business, right. then maybe. didn't The branding didn't matter anymore. Yeah, the branding didn't matter. That's why I said, wait for it. <laughs> you guys were like, I bet it was branding. And I said, wait for it. Yeah. yeah. And they did until the 60s. Uh, in the 60s, she went by uh, her full name, uh, was Doris Elsa Fleischman Bernays. Mm -hmm. uh, on July 10th, 1980, uh, she passed away at the age of 88. Okay. Uh, Edward Bernays died in Massachusetts on March 9th, 1995, at the age of 103. Damn. Wow, dude. Yeah. yeah. 
you listen, we got to go get some ivory soap to bathe in and bananas to eat because we're trying to live. And some lucky strikes. Yeah. Now yeah. We're, no, Alex. <laughs> oh, but I'll use Dixie cups no, to ash it. No, no. Dixie cups with a little bit of water. Those are actually really good ashtrays. Did the Dixie cups, were they marketed to people below the Mason Dixon line harder because of the word Dixie? I don't know, but my son and grandmother was one, one who used them. But I remember I like all of my grandparents, like whenever oh, I'd go to old person's yeah. house, they always had Dixie yeah, yeah. cups. I only mm. know one family member that had like the Dixie cups in their bathroom. Mm-hmm. But they were like the weird cousins that I didn't really like fuck with, and so like I always like we never had those, so I was always just like, why do you have this? Because I come from the school yeah. of his name was Dusk, and I was like, you just put your head down, right. <laughs> drink out of it like a fountain if right. you need water in your mouth. Yeah, I don't understand why you need a cup, um, but yeah, I get. I don't know. Yeah, well, it, it's just one of those things where I, just, like, I saw the name Dixie, and I was like, I wonder if it was. Uh, I thought that when I was a kid because my mom would always be like, we're below the Mason-Dixon line when yeah. we were in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And my, my grandmother down in North Carolina had Dixie cups, and they were always Dixie yeah. cups. Whereas in the North, we used masonry. Yeah. <laughs> and mason jars. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So. Um, the, the other part of it, too, it was she also like was very adamant that they were Dixie cups. Like that they couldn't be any no other off-brand. Right, right. off-brand or even like the plastic type or any of those. Mm-hmm. Like they had to be those specific because ones. Because of that subliminal. The branding was strong. The branding was very, very strong on her. Um, and that carried through. And that's how I feel about bananas. I only eat the best bananas. It's Chiquita International Brands. No, I just buy whatever's on sale the grocery store yeah but never never organic because i heard that the organic ones are really bad for the environment oh yeah there's so i would have to do more research on it but i'm pretty sure it has to do with the way they farm the organic bananas is like they burn the crops um so that they can keep the organic but like it ends up like being really disastrous for the environment the way they grow organic bananas versus regular bananas i don't know i i read a thing on it and then i just kind of plopped it away in my brain like don't buy organic bananas they're bad for the environment i thought we didn't buy them because they were 20 cents more which one did the banana lady oh she just ate whatever she could uh buy okay and apparently there's a lot of bananas in australia you think you think that she'd be very oh that banana lady i thought you're talking about freely that's why why i said 40 bananas a day 40 bananas a day didn't she just die no, no, no. Somebody else, she's somebody still. Else. Yeah. There was another one of the raw vegan people just passed away. Yeah. But no, she now she lives on an island. She lives in the rainforest where she harvests uh, fruit from the wild, allegedly. Oh. I don't know. Okay. I think it's all marketing. But anyway, I thought um, with everything going on right now with the world heating in October, up in October, late October, and uh, the world uh, heating up into people screaming propaganda at each other all day, mm-hmm. uh, and specifically about how. The number one thing I'm seeing, at least from my perspective, is a lot of people trying to influence influencers because everyone believes that the influencers have more sway over larger audiences. So that's who they're trying to get. You'll see people who are, you know, all the actors who are writing letters on one side saying they want a ceasefire. Another one saying thanking Joe Biden for standing with Israel uh, versus asking for a ceasefire for Gaza and all these different ones and how that's coming through. That all stems from this level of propaganda that was really crystallized and codified under Bernays and others. And this is still relatively new science. Yeah. Right. That's the part that's crazy. And I just found it really interesting. And like, I picked this topic before the uh, Hamas attacks on Israel on October 7th. I had this written down as a potential topic back in August. Mm -hmm. And then like, as this has been getting worse and worse with the news we're seeing and um, also just seeing all side propaganda and what that means and what you're seeing from that. I was like, well, I think I should 
bring up who this guy is. Right. And then yeah. not tell anybody of our listeners until late February right. sure, about sure. it. But um, yeah, I just think that uh, I thought it was very interesting. I also had heard a lot about him. And I, I also think that people hear, oh, he was Freud's nephew and he was Jewish. And then that's, and then they just go, and he created propaganda and they run away. Right. It's not really true in that he crystallized sense. it he crystallized he really, it yes like, studied it a lot more and it, ex- it, into the... it it kind of existed he also is very he's so good at it that even if there were other people who did it before him you wouldn't know because he was so good at propaganda that he made sure there was propaganda out there that he was the first and the best i think a really interesting thing about uh propaganda after this or like during this and after yeah is that i think that uh because of this kind of thing, everyone really ramped up how much propaganda they were doing, how many com- like companies are doing it and everything, that we've gotten to the point where we now are now better at discerning one level of it, yeah, maybe even two levels, and they've had to like, they keep having to scale it to yeah. a different level where it's like, okay, we need to pay an influencer to wear our shirt but not mention that they're wearing our shirt. Mm-hmm. Like we need to pay someone to do this, but not to advertise because people are, will turn it off if they or, think yeah. they're being advertised. Or you do the, or they pay for the opposite. So like, they'll be like, it's like almost like um, Coke paying for uh, anti-Coke ads. So sure. they'll be like, they'll, you'll see like an influencer be like, Oh, I hate Coca-Cola. It's, doesn't taste good with this thing but like and then they get booed hard right right, and that negative interaction actually pushes coke stock anyway because you know all ads are good ads or like how a while back uh bud light paid uh kid rock to shoot a bunch of yeah yeah no it's it's that he still sells bud light at his bar that he owns in nashville yeah but it's also one of those things where it's it's a it's a forever cycle at this point. Uh, the biggest thing he did was point out to people when you're doing a public relations campaign, you don't have to just talk. You shouldn't be just talking about the product you're trying to sell. Honestly, it sounds it, like he never talks about right. the product itself. Right. Yeah. He always talks about the surrounding the planet. greater solo- sociological yeah. which ideas. is incredible because like when you're thinking about PR and marketing, like well, it's herd instincts. The idea, yeah, the idea yeah. of like. You don't go for, if you're trying to sell this bottle of water, we're not going to talk about the bottle of water. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about hydration as health. We're going to talk about um, how drinking water clears your skin and makes your acne go away. Yeah. And like all it the other ways. Makes me think of like if you are a kid trying to convince your parents to take you to Disneyland. Yeah. His style, instead of saying anything about Disneyland, yeah. is just to say, did you hear that the Johnsons are taking another vacation this year? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, and like you know that they're going to Disneyland, yeah. but you don't tell them that. Yeah, Mm-mm. it's like, oh, they're well, they're it, so lucky. It, yeah, he it must ma- be really wealthy. It he makes must be me doing think, really well. It makes me think of like the beginning of Wolf of Wall Street uh-huh. when someone was like, when you know, there's a whole scene where the guy's like, "Sell me this pen," uh-huh. and it's like, "Sell me this pen," and then like, he sells them. It's like Bernays's way of be like, "Sell me this pen," and then instead he'd be like, put it in his pocket. He goes, "Give me my pen back." No. Yeah. Like, well, now oh, it looks like you want your pen back, huh? A dollar. <laughs> wait, wait, it was my pen. No, it wasn't. Yeah. By the way, uh, people can, who people who can't write uh, die of syphilis. Right. <laughs> like, can, what? can anyone truly own a pen? Yeah. It was just he's just so he's so fucking crazy. Uh huh. And it's I, it's also like a lot of his plans and how he pulled it off and the fact they were successful. It's so 4D chess as well. Sure. Yeah. Having women smoke. 
and not even fucking like mentioning it, but not like, right. what are we going to do? I'm going to have six women smoke at 11 a.m. on Easter Sunday right. yeah. at this specific street corner walking down these steps. It's almost what the fuck the type of stuff that like would make someone believe in time travelers. Yeah. Where it's like, <laughs> OK, if we want to get a woman to smoke a cigarette. We need a butterfly to flap its wings in Costa Rica. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you like, just like but this whole Costa weird, Rica like. Costa better not trying to have a communist oh, no, exactly. government. Okay. Yeah. It's got to be Costa Rica. So we're going to have to coup their government yeah. if we want this one woman to smoke because a Because they keep trying to protect the butterflies, but we got to uh, get at these butterflies. Yeah. It's also one of those things, too, where, you know, that's how you can see how the, um, you know, especially people who are have schizophrenia or have conspiratorial thinking. Sure. See it everywhere. Everything right. seems like right. a conspiracy because. Yeah, I mean, what he's doing in the most basic sense is a conspiracy sure, sure. about everything. Sure. He, again, he's not just putting up a fucking advertisement saying, buy bottled water. He is like, uh, tap water's poison. Oh, by the way, sure. I forgot to even mention, he was behind the marketing scheme for fluoridization and saying it's healthy. Oh, I forgot up. to mention that. You, he really did water. He really did water. Sorry, I it, it I couldn't find detail about it, but well, he was yeah. behind war, water fluoridization. Government's got to keep Florida, the fluoridization undercover. They yeah. can't tell you about it was, that. It was listed in like his list of campaigns. It was just like, yeah, and it was just like such a weird little line where it just goes, and water fluoridization. I was like, shut the, I want more. It's like, no. Well, no, because you can't because the people that are anti-fluoride and water go so crazy. They go nuts. They're like anti-circumcision people. Yeah. Um, so with that, his name was Dusk. Yes. Did you have fun? I did. That's we had great. fun with you. Yeah. I like having him. It was good. This was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Mrs. P, did you have fun? I had a great time. Good. I wanted to influence both of you to thinking that you had fun. Oh no. Oh my God, he's too powerful. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so with that, this has been a very, very fun episode. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything else I have to say. <laughs> uh, I think uh, his name was Dust is going to play us a song now. I am going to just, can I throw out a plug? Sure. Yeah. Uh, his name was Dust.com, which will be in the show notes, of course. Yeah. And so he's, his name was Dust is going to play us off in just one second. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Uh, I'm just going to play a song from uh, an album I've been working on called uh, Daydreams of Duncan Daisy. Um, this song is called A Song for Daisy. Uh, yeah, it goes like this. I fly a starship Across the universe divide Her name is Daisy And she's big, beautiful, and wise And in my mind She can do most anything And she does This is a song I wrote for Daisy, can't you tell? 
This is a song for Daisy. I hope it finds a well. This is a song I wrote for Daisy. Can't you tell? This is a song for Daisy. I hope it finds a well. She does some changes, and I fly my route to face the dangers. You got to reboot, and with my mind, she can do most anything, and she does. This is a song I wrote for Daisy, can't you tell? This is a song for Daisy, I hope it finds a well. This is a song I wrote for Daisy, can't you tell? This is a song for Daisy, I hope it finds a well. All right, that's been His Name Was Dusk. Thank you. Thank you so much, buddy. And then... uh, I don't have your mic on. There you go. Oh, I said I like his cool guitar. I know. It's super cool. Thank yeah. You. I wish I had a guitar that cool. His, its name is The Ranger. Yeah. You, you named it The Ranger? It's the pretty Ranger. cool. That's a pretty cool it's guitar. Like a, it's got vampire energy. It's all I'm saying. Oh, thank you. Like, uh, it's very kind if, of if I could, if I was watching The Lost Boys, this is the guitar I think The Lost Boys would be playing it that around the bonfire. Oh, you know yeah. I mean? We got a mullet. We got a leather dust drum. We're playing this guitar. Yeah. yeah. And so with that, after hearing your song, His Name Was Dusk, yeah. we're now going to listen to you as we play everybody off. All right. <laughs> Guys, thank you listening. so much. And I hope this episode still holds up by the time <laughs> late February comes. <laughs> Thank you.